بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so alhamdulillah we've had our first few sessions with our Sheikh Sheikh Zafar al-Hassan al-Madani hafizahullah and he spoke about you know everything he spoke about today is still an introduction to the book as he's mentioning the whole history of how Islam entered into India and so on and all of that is an introduction so that we can understand uh, why the author has written the book so alhamdulillah we will continue with him tomorrow inshallah uh, now alhamdulillah we have our next speaker Sheikh uh, Abu Mus'ab hafizahullah and he'll be going through bismillah uh, key points from the book Al-Aqeedah Al-Wasitiyah by Sheikh Islam Ibn Taymiyyata rahimahullah ta'ala if I can just ask everyone to uh, quiet it down, inshallah. Yeah, uh, anyone, if they sat here, if you could just leave some gap because people are walking in and out from that door. Jazakallah khair. Okay, Normally works. Just before I pass it over to the Sheikh, uh, just uh, there's a lot of people that came um, later, so it's going to remind everyone uh, some of the house rules. Firstly, uh, as I mentioned, the children are welcome to come to the masjid. However, we do advise that if all the parents can make sure the children are with them, that way they're not disturbing those who have traveled from far to uh, seek knowledge. Uh, secondly, uh, in regards to the materials and in regards to the books and uh, everything to do with that, we mentioned that there's QR codes, and in the breaks, you'll see the QR code on the projector as well. So inshallah, if you need the material, you need any updates regarding the conference, you want to generally follow the activities of the masjid, everything is on that QR code, um, inshallah. So scan that QR code, bismillah. Uh, thirdly, just want to remind everyone of the etiquettes of a student of knowledge as well. Um, because I'll, I'll be quite honest, I was a bit disappointed with some of the people in the first few lessons in regards to uh, the etiquettes of a student of knowledge. You know, alhamdulillah, this dora is designed to be an intensive dora and it's uh, aimed at serious level in, right? And uh, it's a very long dora, it's four days. Normally in the UK, you don't see four days. You see maybe two, maybe three maximum. And you don't see them finishing, especially in the, win uh, in the winter at 11 p.m. So it's a very intensive one. So if you consider yourself a true student of knowledge, you have to abide by the adab of talib al-ilm. As the Salaf would say, we studied these adab for 20 years before we sought knowledge and so on. So it's very important when the Sheikh is speaking, no one should be on the phones, no one should be talking, unless it's some sort of emergency or something like that. Likewise, you should all be taking notes as well. You know, I've just seen some people just sat there for two, three hours staring at the Sheikh, which is good, and alhamdulillah, you gain the, the barakah of being in these majalis and in these gatherings. However, if I was to just test you now on what the Sheikh said, it's not even been a day and you wouldn't be able to repeat everything the Sheikh has said. So make sure you're taking notes. It's a long dora. Your mind is going to get fried. You're not going to memorize everything. So make sure you're taking these notes so that you can go back to them um, later, inshallah. Likewise, even the way some people are sitting, you know, stretching your legs out towards the teacher is not from the etiquette of a student of knowledge. Yes, you sat there for a long time. If your legs hurt, you can stretch them, but then you take them back in after you know, a minute or two. You don't uh, need to sit for a whole hour stretching your legs. That's uh, you know, disrespectful. Um, and likewise, all of the other adab of ilm, obviously, it's not a darsin adab of ilm, so we don't have time to go through all of that. But please try to uphold these etiquettes. As Yusuf ibn Hussain he said, Bil adabi ilm. Through these etiquettes, you will understand knowledge. 
Without adequacy, you will not benefit from that knowledge, and that knowledge will not be beneficial knowledge uh, for you. So please uphold these etiquettes, um, inshallah, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept it from all of you. So without any delay, I'll pass it over to the Shaykh. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wassalatu wassalamu al-atamani al-akmalani ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsani ila yawm al-deen wa sallama tasliman kathiran amma ba'd We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly the way he deserves to be praised We ask Allah to exalt the mention, grant peace and send his blessings and salutations upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Al-Aqidatu al-Wasitiyah is considered one of the most classic works of Shaykh Al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. And a lot of people wonder why is it called Al-Wasitiyah. Some people assumed it has to do with Wasatiyah, which is this, the, the condition of the Ummah versus other Ummah. وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا As Allah says in the Quran, such we have made you a balanced, a middle nation. Uh, the reality is uh, Wasit is a, is a place in Iraq. And uh, the Shaykh rahimahullah or this was a common among the, the people of knowledge up until today, when they would receive a question from a particular place or particular uh, location in the world, and they would write a response, then that response will be named after the location. That's why you have the Tadmuriya from Tadmur, and uh, so on and so forth. So you find that uh, you might come across certain uh, titles for certain works uh, that are associated with the location from which the question came. Now, when it comes to Aqidah, uh, the situation gets very dynamic very quickly. Unlike Fiqh, which is open to a lot of Ishtihad, Aqidah by default is not an Ishtihadi matter. It is not a matter that is subject to you exerting yourself and, and deducing rulings. It is a matter that is based strictly on textual evidence and revelation. Because it has to do with your Lord. It has to do with who your Lord is. And if such, and it is such, this means that the approach that we have towards Aqidah is very different than our approach when it comes to studying Fiqh. And it also means that opposition opposing this Aqidah is tantamount to deviance. This is why, if you think about the major fractions among Muslim, the Muslim Ummah, the deviations and the, the, the groups that, that came about, the reason why they were categorized as such was not because of them being Hanafi or Hanbali or Maliki or Shafi'i or Zahiri, for that matter. It was because of their belief. So you have Qadariya, because they you know, denied Qadr, Jabariyyah, because they assumed or claimed that everything you do was forced upon you by Allah Azza wa Jal. And you have the Rafida, which has to do with the belief concerning the Sahaba. Then you have the Khawarij. And the list goes on. All of these groups and what came out from these groups of, as offshoots, it was all about Aqidah. So having proper Aqidah means you're rightly guided and having uh, a wrong aqidah means you have a problem. Now, this doesn't mean that we dare 
to judge who's going to Jannah and who's going to Jahannam because that's part of our Aqeedah. Part of our Aqeedah is to understand that there's an area where you judge according to the apparent and there's a part of that which belongs to Allah Azza wa Jal and Allah does what He wills on Yawm Qiyamah. He forgives whomever He wills, He pardons whomever He wills. The person may have an excuse, a justification, the culture, the environment, the, how they were brought up. So many factors are to be taken into consideration. That's not us. That doesn't mean though that we don't have the, the right to judge because Allah made people judges. Allah made people hukam on earth to judge according to the apparent. But it helps us understand that <coughs> as if we want to connect this with the khutbah today, the deviation of the ummah or the suffering of the ummah is actually deeply connected with our divorce from our proper aqidah. Because of the Muslims went far away from what is expected in terms of how they worshipped Allah, in terms of even identifying Allah. If you speak to five Christians, and those of you who have given da'wah to the Christians can vouch for what I'm saying. You speak to five Christians about God, the concept of God, you will get eight different answers. How, you, how do you even come up with two answers? I've never come across two Christians that agreed on anything. Anytime you corner them with something, they will tell you, yeah, I know, but you know, I, I don't believe that about the church, or I don't believe that about the Bible, or I don't believe that about God. They have now their private opinion about uh, the concept of God. And how could that be? That's because they have nothing to hold on to. They have no preserved revelation. Allah Azza wa did not grant any other prophet or messenger the blessing he granted our prophet Muhammad So we are special in the sense that we have connection with revelation that is unchanged and unaffected by the passage of time. Further, we have been promised by the Prophet ﷺ that they will remain to be a group of this ummah upon the truth. They will be, zuhur is, is to be evident, to be apparent, to be present, to be superior, to be on top. Until the day, until the hour is established. And the hadith mentions that those people will be opposed. They will not be harmed by those who oppose them. There will be people, as we see today, coming at you from every angle, from every, from every place, uh, attacking you, saying that you're this and you're that, uh, you're deviant, you're an anthropomorphist, uh, you know, so on and so forth. But this group of people, which is not necessarily a bunch of people sitting in one masjid as we are right now, so we don't claim that we are the saved and aided sect, because these could be anywhere, anywhere in the world, throughout, throughout time, from the time of the Sahaba until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Whoever, whatever individual adheres to those principles will be among those that have been promised this virtuous trait given by the Prophet Muhammad himself. And all these narrations explain each other. So if we were to say, okay, how do we know? Because everybody claims... Everybody claims that this is the, you know, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. We are the right people, right? They can come from any background and will make the same claim that you're making. So how do you make a distinction between all these claimants? And the answer to that is very straightforward and simple. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed unto the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
so that he can convey to the ummah how we clean ourselves in the bathroom, it would be rather impossible that a greater matter of guidance will be ignored. Because if we were to say that we don't know where the truth is, then we're alleging that Allah did not make this kitab la rayba fi. And he did not make this This Quran guides you to that which is most straight. We're taking away actually all of the promises of Allah from the Quran and the Sunnah if we were to think that the truth cannot be identified or the truth can possibly be with any given individual or any given group. On the contrary, the truth is only one. What is after the truth except misguidance? And we and you are either upon Allah because it, it raises you. You're upon above the truth or in clear manifest misguidance. There is no two truths. There's only one truth. So now we just have to do the scrutiny and the homework of referring the matters to their usul, to their fundamentals. Once we do so, it will become very clear that the, this matter of ours, this matter of aqidah, is not a matter that we just chose and selected from many because it's practical, because it's convenient. No, this is a matter of life and death in a sense that if I want to meet Allah Azza wa Jal, I'm a sinful person. Each one of us is sinful in his own ways. So I'm not speaking about the matter of uh, shahawat. I'm talking about the matter of shubuhat, the matter of doubts. If one of us wants to meet Allah, and knowing that the card of La ilaha illallah that he was carrying is going to be that same card that the Prophet ﷺ said if it were to be put, when it will be put on one side of the scale, it will outweigh all of the sins. A person will come on the Day of Judgment with, with sins that piling up one side of the scale. Then a card that said La ilaha illallah on it will be put on the other side, it will erase and eliminate all of these sins. What type of La ilaha illallah was that? The same one that every Muslim out there is saying? Absolutely not. It's the one that it came with its conditions and prerequisites. So if you want to meet Allah with that type of shahada, and it's not just my opinion, my subjective opinion, no, this is an objective matter, as for evidence, and anyone who challenges it, we could take it to the Quran and the Sunnah, and the understanding of the early generations. And this is the key to everything that I'm going to speak from this moment onwards in these next few days, or anytime you hear da'wah being disseminated, anytime you hear about knowledge, when everybody claims that they follow in the Sahaba, it's very easy to assess whether that you truly follow in the Sahaba or not. By applying the principle, al-bayyinatu ala man The burden of proof is upon the claimant. When we address some of these ayat and ahadith that speak about the names and attributes of Allah, and a person comes along, a Jahmi, an Ash'ari, a Mu'tazili, anybody comes along and says, no, 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 astaghfirullah, you cannot say this about Allah. You cannot attribute this quality to Allah. What, what this ayah means is such, or what this word means is such. We say, no problem. Bring me the proof that any one of the Sahaba came across this ayah and said what you said. Don't tell me about some individual, some sheikh, some maulana, 400 years later, <laughs> not that maulana, 400 years later, uh, you know, who thought of it after he mixed with, with uh, uh, Greek philosophers and with Plato and he was studying ilmul uh, kalam and mantik and all this after he digested and or misdigested all of this data and now did a mumbo jumbo inside his brain and came up with a new aqidah. 
Don't tell me about this individual because I'm not interested in what he has to say, honestly. If, did the Sahaba say anything along these lines? No. Thank you very much. Case closed. So I'm going to stick to the principle, the, the apparent meaning of the, the ayah. And these are some of the principles we will be discussing. Inshallah. So the way of the Sahaba is the key. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ, when he said that this ummah will divide into 73 sects, he did mention that one will be saved. When he was asked, Man hiya ya Rasulullah? Qala man kana ala mithli ma ana alayhi liyawm wa ashabi. In one of the narrations. He said, whoever is upon what I am today and my companions. So when the Prophet ﷺ made that statement, whatever he was upon, and whoever follows what he and the companions were upon is the person that will be from the saved and aided sect. It's a very straightforward one plus one equals two. It's not a trinity where you need to make sense out of something that doesn't make sense. This is the most common sense any a kid, five-year-old kid can comprehend what is being said. I'm saying this because sometimes I, I, when I speak to the younger generations, I see that they get challenged easily by opponents. They, get, they easily get swayed by someone telling them any doubt. They throw any doubt and now they have to reconsider. Am I really upon the truth? Am I really rightly guided? Of course. If, you have, if you're following what, what is being taught, of course you are. Never doubt that. This is one of the prerequisites of La ilaha illallah. Yaqeen. Certainty. That is opposed by shak, by doubt. There's no doubt. Afillahi shak. Is there any doubt concerning Allah? A'udhu billah. When the shaitan whispers to you doubts, there's, a, there's a, a process that you follow to avoid these doubts. You seek refuge with Allah, you increase your, your knowledge, you increase your acts of worship, you deal with it, you be patient. Sometimes the shaitan will harass you for years on end before you're able to get on track. But you have to have confidence in the fact that what we are teaching is what you need to believe. This is not just another opinion of another sheikh from the 6th century, 7th century that I'm bringing to you and telling you this is the Aqid of Ahl-Sunnah al-Jama'ah, which amazingly and ironically is what others do. Someone will tell you this is what Sheikh Fulan believed. And then they will tell you the Sheikh's opinion on those ayat. But where's Ibn Abbas? And where's Ibn Mas'ud? And where's Ibn Umar? And where are the, the senior among the Sahaba? You will not find them. Tamam, even the, the young ones. Yeah, Shabab, focus please. Alright? <coughs> Excuse me. So there are two ways of doing this. The traditional way, which will be tough for everybody. That is what I've already done in the past. Go over the book with the Sharh of Shaykh ibn Uthameer from cover to cover. If you're really interested in the intricate intricacies of the subject matter, if you really want to absorb all of this because there's a lot of details, then you can go to One Way to Paradise and there's a playlist called Al-Aqid Al-Wasitiyya and you could spend, I don't know how long it will take you to go through the whole book. Um, you could skip the Q&A at the end which get, might get irritating for some people because the Q&A is the fun part of the class. Some people actually only come for the Q&A and they ignore the class. Different, different breed, different ideology. Uh, but you can go through that uh, on your own. What I wanted to do in these few days, instead of giving you like an abridged version also, I figured let's, let's highlight the main principles that we, need, that we can deduce from the work of the Sheikh and the Sharh of Sheikh Ibn Uthaymi, rahimahullah. And once we're all on the same page, I'm going to challenge you afterwards by turning you into the Mashayikh and I'm the student. 
because you know that's what it is not that I am the sheikh right now but I'm going to make you the sheikh in a sense that you will be the one answering the questions so we'll have it will be more engaging more interactive you won't fall asleep because if you fall asleep during the class you will be called out you will be asked a question I don't know if you've ever been through this experience where you're sleeping and then when you wake up everybody's looking at you and the sheikh's like uh-huh what do you say and you're like what <laughs> what happened then you never sleep again yeah, that, that's, probably, that's probably what will happen if you knock out in the class. But I don't want to reach that point of boredom. So we will make it more interactive. And that way you could practice some of those principles and you could see how much you've learned from, from what we will cover. So you have to be patient in the beginning as we cover those main principles before we get to the point where we will ask certain key questions based on the metan of the, uh, the kitab or the risala and the sharh of the, the sheikh, inshallah. Uh, but first... Does everybody know who Sheikh Rasab ibn Taymiyyah is? Yeah? Okay, that's an easy answer. <laughs> what do you know? Can we get some bits and pieces from everybody what you know? He's a top scholar in Saudi. The Sheikh said he's a top scholar in Saudi. The first part of the answer is correct. The second part of the answer is subject to further discussion. I don't know if at some point, yeah, I'm sure he went to Mecca and Medina, so that, that counts. But he was from Haran. He was, uh, he was all over the place. That's a big one. That's a big one. That's, but I said that already. Tamam. He was given a title of Shaykh Do you know what a heavy title that is? That's one of the biggest titles. And you know that some, some uh, ulama back then hated this so much that not only they passed takfir, they authored books about the impermissibility of calling him Shaykh Islam. I mean, he, the impact he had on the people is so profound that so many people were influenced by him in both ways. The people that benefited from the sheikh is beyond what we could say. It's enough to know that probably the biggest janazah that happened after the janazah of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal was the janazah of Sheikh Hassan ibn Taymiyyah, who died in prison, for the record, who died in prison, oppressed and uh, his, his own enemies eventually wind up praising him because he forgave all of them in spite of him having many opportunities to take revenge. He got in prison because of his opinions. Because of his opinions. Type good. So Shaykh al-Islam is a big title. What else? Tfadl. MashaAllah. So he was actually engaged on the ground. He wasn't just, uh, you know, behind the screen as we have today. He was uh, uh, a fighter in the cause of Allah in every respect of the word, specifically with his pen. That did not stop him though from engaging in uh, war when that was necessary. Obviously the Muslims back then were going through a lot of trouble. And, and his involvement was also a, a source of success and victory for the Muslims. And that's something not to be forgotten. Good. Anything else? Does anyone know what year he, around what year he was born? Or at least tell me the century he was born in. Sabi, which means in the 600s. Well, the 700s. 1250? <laughs> it's one o'clock. <coughs> hey. 661, 661. That's why I was asking. Because there's always the... The century is always one hundred years. Now, 
728, mashallah. Okay, good. All right, well, a lot can be said about the Sheikh, Rahimahullah. And you, we could actually have a whole daura on the biography or the seerah of Sheikh Rasab ibn Taymiyyah, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to appreciate this very precise text that he wrote. And it's amazing, uh, it's amazing what can, what can be done by merely citing the Quran and the Sunnah. The actual uh, words of the Sheikh are little in comparison to just citations. You know, telling you that Allah Azza wa says in the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad said in the Sunnah. Uh, today, because of our detachment from, from these sources, because of our lack of knowledge of the Arabic language, because of our lack of knowledge of Islam in general, everything requires more explanation and more you know, in-depth uh, uh, breakdown. Back then, uh, it wasn't the case. It wasn't the case as much. And therefore, it would be sufficient sometimes for someone just to be uh, an ayah to be cited or referred and they automatically understand what's going on and they stand corrected if that was necessary. So the metan was very precise, but it highlighted the core beliefs of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. And that work has been taken care of and, and you know, studied and taught uh, over and over again throughout the years by many of the mashayikh. Uh, Sheikh bin Uthaymeen's approach, rahimahullah, was very uh, agreeable to the audience, to the students. The Sheikh had a very uh, wise approach to how he taught. He would give a lot of examples. He would mention objections and address the objections right away. So he would say, if a person were to say, you know, how come such and such, or how come there's another ayah that says, you know, the opposite. And then he would tell you how to address the matter, as opposed to leaving it for your imagination where you could easily get off track. So let's begin, inshallah, with some of these principles that are based, that, that when you understand them, then you'll be able to look into the Quran and the Sunnah in the future. And even if you don't have access to a tafsir, just based on these principles and your fitrah, you should be able to understand what's going on. Unless it's a really an, yani, a nuance, a very technical nuance. But on average, you will be able to have a proper understanding. If you come across an attribute of Allah Azza that is mentioned either in the Quran or the Sunnah, without having access to a shaykh breaking it down for you, if you understand these principles, you could figure it out on your own. As a, as a general principle, exceptions do apply. So with regards to the text of the Quran and the Sunnah, <coughs> it's obligatory, this is the first principle, to leave their proofs and implications upon their literal meanings. And you could put 16 lines, underline the word literal meaning. Because our biggest challenge and the biggest difference that we have with the rest of these ideologies that are present and prevalent in the Muslim Ummah is literal versus figurative. What we consider to be literal, they refuse. Because they will say that the literal is, is, you know, leads to disbelief or something among these, along these lines. Without changing them. This is because Allah revealed the Quran in plain Arabic language. And the Prophet ﷺ used to speak with the Arabic language. Therefore, it is obligatory to leave the implications of the words of Allah and the words of the Messenger of Allah as they are in that language, not in the translated language. 
Because translating uh, words brings about a number of issues. And that is the skills of the translator. His vocabulary. Um, his accuracy. His understanding of the context. So many things get involved when you read translated text. We can bring one, I, right now I don't go for it. Go to any of these uh, phone applications of a Quran application and select any given ayah. <coughs> Excuse me. And then select all the, you know, they have different translations. Big Tall and Muhsin uh, Ali Khan, Sahih International, and I don't know what else. Read all six. You will think it's a completely different ayah. The wordings are not the same in English. Not even, not e sometimes not even a single word is consistent. Allahumma accept the preposition. Like in or on or something like that. But all the other choice of words do not even match. What Sahih International, the way they will translate an ayah will be completely different than uh, another translation of the Quran by someone with a different aqidah. Because of this issue of translation. So we want to focus on the uh, pure uh, the, the pure state of the Arabic language being the language spoken at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, him addressing the people in the language that they understood as being a criteria because that will help us eliminate a lot of the issues that might arise later on because of translation issues. Also changing from its literal meaning is speaking about Allah without knowledge. And this is forbidden. When you say, for, for example, the ayah says, وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ Continue the ayah. ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ And the face of your Lord will remain full of honor and nobility. If a person were to say, the giga, the wajh, is not, is not to be taken literally. Okay, we cannot take this word literally. You cannot say Allah has a face. And this is something that you will hear many times in your, in your life if you engage in any kind of aqidah discussion with someone. This is normal. It's a normal conversation between uh, a Muslim upon the aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah and a Muslim from somewhere else. They will uh, unequivocally, <coughs> confidently tell you, no, 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 a'udhu billah. Don't you ever dare say that Allah has a face. But that's what Allah said in the Quran. No, you can't. But why? You saying it means something else. By the way, when you taking away the, the literal meaning and assuming that there's a subliminal or figurative meaning that is embedded that we don't know, you're actually falling under one of the biggest violations in Islam, which is until the end of I say verily, my Lord has forbidden immoralities, what is apparent, what is hidden. At the end of the ayah. Among the things Allah made forbidden, That you should say about Allah that which you don't know. So as soon as you say this ayah, the literal meaning of this ayah is not intended and something else is intended and you have nothing to, no evidence to furnish to uh, justify or substantiate your claim, you have automatically fallen into one of the biggest prohibitions in Islam, which is that you speak about Allah without knowledge. And woe to you. Woe to you from speaking about Allah without knowledge. This is the very characteristic of who? Who's the first one to delve into philosophy? The first one to delve into philosophy and to speak about Allah without knowledge. Who was it? Mean? 
Jahm Safwan, you forgot Iblis? Way before Jahm. Iblis? The first philosopher ever is Iblis. Allah told him, what prevented you from prostrating to he who I created with my two hands? He said, I am better than him. You created me from fire and you created him from clay. So according to him, this is not something from Allah. He already put his own criteria that fire is superior to clay. Does he have any evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah? No. Not that Iblis is looking for one. Aslan. No. This is his own prerequisite. This is his own philosophical approach to the deen. Something that you hear today as a normal speech. Someone will come tell you today, I'm going to teach you philosophy. Ya Rajul. Ayya philosophy, ya Habibi. We tell you we could have Quran Sunnah, you want to teach me philosophy? And have you ever heard these philosophical discussions? If A is equal to BC uh, to the square of uh, minus 2, then if, you, if John went through the door, it means the window's open. Yalla, repeat for me. Um, if Ahmed went through the door, then the door's open. No, no. Uh, then John is open. What are you saying? This is a class that people have. Like instead of teaching them what Allah revealed, they have a class of this, I don't know what to call it. It's, a, it's an ongoing circus. Information that will, because now once you've, you, you've poisoned your brain with this nonsense, now every time you want to come across an ayah or a hadith, you start thinking about all these philosophical you know, approaches to the matter. Nothing is easy anymore. You can easily go astray. When we understand these principles, it's the reverse. We're doing the exact reverse. Anytime someone presents something philosophical, thank you very much, keep it to yourself, I'm not interested. Why? I go by the literal meaning. Until and unless you provide an evidence to the contrary, there's another ayah or there's another hadith that further explains it and it proves that the literal meaning is not intended. And we have, ex we have those examples. But people that don't provide that, then you can automatically now reject and have a peace of mind that you're upon the correct understanding. Anything that is mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah, you accept the literal meaning until further notice. The first and one of the most important principles, lest you speak about Allah Azza wa without knowledge. So we gave the example of Another classic example would be Rather, yeah, Shabab, the young ones, please. I'm, I'm easily distracted. You know, back in the day when I used to have lectures in, uh, in that hospital, kids were not allowed. Because as soon as somebody made a noise, I, was, I, I lose track. People used to dislike this uh, mean approach. They're like, we have kids, we want to bring them. And I'm like, Malish, it's my problem, so just bear with me. Uh, so eventually, they would bring the kids and have them on silent. Before phones were on silent. I don't know what. When every time the kid would come, you know, they would, he would start making noise. The, the, the parents will take him outside, calm him down, give him some milk and bring him back inside. Uh, out of courtesy for me. So I'm asking, you guys are not that young. So you're manageable, inshallah. No speaking during the class. We're going to have a break soon, inshallah. Then you could chat, chat, chat with the chai. Until then, please help me out here. See, where was I? Where was I? Uh-huh. What happened? Tamam. Tayyib. So what, how do we translate that ayah? 
Can, can you can you use your hand to demonstrate? Huh? Right now, but this is this is a, a trick question. The ayah says rather both of his hands are outstretched. That's one of the translations. Another one says are extended. Can you can you use your hand to demonstrate that we're referring to Allah's hand? No. If you actually go through the text, there's another discussion when it comes to hearing and seeing where the Prophet ﷺ used something like that. But we'll leave that to later, inshallah. That will be maybe among the questions we will ask later. So this is a classic example where some people will say, those who don't adhere to the proper aqidah, those who don't accept the literal meaning, they say, you cannot say that Allah has hands. Because if you say that Allah has hands, that means you have likened Allah to his creation. And then, ironically, they want to use our evidences. They say, Allah says, There's nothing like Allah. And therefore, you cannot say that Allah has hands because we have hands. So Allah cannot have hands. So there's a number of ways we could answer this. I know we're not supposed to do the Q&A now, but I'm, I'm, I'm itching to, to put you on, uh, you know, on blast. So let's see, what's an easy response to this? Someone says, he quotes, There's nothing like Allah. I have a hand, Allah cannot have a hand because according to the ayah, Allah is like me. Ayah, mashaAllah alayk. Tell him, طيب يا مولانا الشيخ, continue the ayah. If you know the rest of the ayah. What's the rest of the ayah? Al-Basir. And he's the all hearing, all seeing. Uh, I'm sorry, do you hear? Do you see? Huh? Busted. So according to you now, you, you have to deny that as well. But Allah is not hearing and seeing because you hear and see. So they're going to say, no, no. It's different. You know, our hearing and seeing is not like Allah. Say, exactly. And our face and our hands are not like those of Allah. There's no way around it. There's, there's no way you can get out of this entrapment. And the reason why they, they, they will face this issue is because you're speaking from the light, from the nur of hidayah, from the nur of, of guidance. And they're speaking from whatever they were taught by some human being. And nothing can match the revelation. The, the Quran and the Sunnah will forever be superior over everything and everyone until the day of judgment. This is something that you have to hold on in your aqidah. I'm saying this because today people are influenced by science and scientific discoveries and scientific theories. Forget about all the scientists and all the science. If all the scientists had a unanimous agreement about something that opposes the Quran and the Sunnah, it's on you to reject all of the scientists in the world with their proofs and evidences and accept the basic hadith. Even if it's one hadith. One hadith, ahad, that is sahih from Allah's Messenger that tells you anything about this. For example, the fly. Any example, I want any example that science cannot grasp, scientists cannot understand, or they have an opinion that opposes it, you have to reject all of these scientists and believe in the revelation of the Quran and the Sunnah. Plain and simple. And this is assuming science was always correct. Let us not expose the fact that science changes every few years. Oh, wait, you know, we thought this, now we made new discoveries. It turns out that we were wrong all along. Durr. And we've been telling you that for many years. That's why we're not interested in your variables, because science is never consistent. Science is constantly changing. What's consistent is the revelation, is the Quran and the Sunnah. That's consistent. And that's until the end of time. So you have something very dear to hold on to and you have this, this uh, fortress of Iman that no other person of any other religion can claim. They're all over the place. 
and you're in one place. They're truly misguided and you're truly guided. You see, that virtue, that benefit, that blessing of Allah to be a Muslim and to have, ex you know exactly why you're alive and you know exactly what will happen when you die and you know exactly what will happen after you die and you know the life of the barzakh, the interval and then you know the day of judgment. We actually know this information before it happens and the Quran speaks about those events and using the past tense because they will happen. This is how certain that they will happen. We know what will happen inside of Jannah and for those who are interested, how many Hur al-Ain you will get and what they look like, right? <coughs> and then for the people of Jannah, may Allah protect us all from Jahannam. We know what kind of torment and punishment they will have. We, and we're sitting here now. We're not even, Allah alam when Yawm al-Qiyamah is. But this is the kind of Iman that our religion gives us. And you don't, you don't second doubt that even for a split second. Similarly, this is how we approach this matter. The same way you have firm belief in Allah wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wal yawm al-akhir wal qadri khair wa sharri The intricacies and the subcategories of all of those you have to hold the same firm belief as you have the belief in these six pillars of Iman. You cannot be wishy-washy about any one of them. Once you believe in that pillar then, then everything that comes along with it is part of that. So when you say uh, you know, amantu billah I believe in Allah aw raditu billahi rabban I have I am pleased with Allah as my Lord. This comes with ramifications. This comes with other things that you have to incorporate into your belief. It's not just believe that Allah not, not just believing that Allah exists. The disbelievers believe that Allah exists. That didn't make him believers. The Kuffar of Quraysh believed that Allah exists and even worshipped him. But they also worshipped, you know, Allah to Al-Uzza and others, because why not? You know, these were our intercessors with Allah. These are not enough. And you will find some Christians who say, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that there is one God. Alright, so if a Christian says, I'm a Unitarian Christian. Tamam? I believe in La ilaha illallah. Khalas. I have salvation along with you. What, what would your response be? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> They what? Let's say they didn't slander the prophets. Let's say they just rejected the prophet Muhammad That means they, they don't believe in la ilaha illallah. Huh? I know, but someone says, I believe in la ilaha illallah, but I don't believe in Muhammad Rasulullah. That means he does not believe in la ilaha, la ilaha illallah anymore, or he still believes it, but he just has a problem somewhere else. Huh? I don't know how. So, so. Uh huh. Correct. Correct. Tamam. But let's hypothetically say, and I've come across these Christians. Who don't have an issue with what, how we describe Allah. Alright, so they're, they're on, on with us with La ilaha illallah. But as you mentioned, they reject the Prophet ﷺ. Is that kufr? 100%? Do you have an evidence? A hadith. Do we have an ayah? Tamam, hadith is good. If someone says, if someone says, no, no, hadith, ma'alish. Khalil hadith andak fil bayt. I need an ayah from the Quran. What's the first thing you say? Tayyip, let me give you an ayah or do you uh, say, hey, hey. 
Time out. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't want the hadith? Is it okay to say, I just want ayah from... Some people tell you, look, just give me an ayah. If, if there's an ayah, I'm good to go. There's no ayah, mm, adi, this is okay? Marra. Big, uh, marra meaning like 100% not allowed. So you, you cannot be a Qur'ani. Believe in the Qur'an alone. Because the Qur'an is untempered, preserved. The sunnah, you have hadith, sahih, hadith hasan, hadith da'if, hadith mawdu' munkar. There's a lot more investigation. So? Nah, I'm going to throw doubts and nobody's going to answer. Now we need to de deal with this differently. Okay, tfaddal. Oh, that, that's the ayah that you're using to prove that if you don't believe in the Prophet ﷺ, you're a disbeliever. Ah, they, they, they should, there should be better, better evidence. Tfaddal. There's no nara jahannam. Nuslihi jahannam wa sa'at basira. Tayyib, zakallah khair. Tamam, closer. Even though this ayah is generally used to mention those who deviate from the way of Prophet ﷺ among the Muslims. But there are some, there's an ayah that is explicit, explicit ayah. Ah, tamam, that's not the ayah I'm looking for. All these are correct. Don't, don't be uh, you know, dis, disheartened or, or sad. But there's one that is fasamim, as they say. It's right in the jugular. La, ya rajul. Well, the, okay, but still not. La la la. I'm gonna I'm gonna cite it for you because I don't want to uh, leave any room for for. I'm gonna give you the ayah. It's in Surah An Nisa, I believe. La. Or maybe there's one in Surah Tawbah. But not the ayah I'm looking for. <laughs> because the, the reason why I'm telling you this is, all of these are sound. However, the, the people have the tendency when you give an ayah that is generic or general meaning, they say uh, it doesn't necessarily apply 100%. So it will still leave room for negotiation. If you can find an ayah that is, uh, what is the word? Decisive. Decisive is unambiguous. It's from the, يعني, not the mutashabih, from the muhkam, then that puts this discussion to sleep. La ya rajul. لا يا كابتن اي جزاك الله خير از ات از اي 100 او 150 سوره النساء I'll tell you guys this is important this is important i have it memorized but i don't want to do uh, get philosophical and misquote the ayah this is the book of allah which is another lesson if you think if you doubt you might misquote an ayah don't if you're able to verify and be more uh, assertive, then do so. Yani some, some people get laxed and you know, they think they have it memorized when they don't. And they start mixing up the words of Allah and they, and they go on a lecture, you know, misquote the book of Allah 15 times in a row. Tabmash, you make a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake and it is, it's, it's, it's possible. But to, to be uh, negligent in terms of citing the book of Allah, this is not a paraphrasing. You can paraphrase a hadith, but you cannot paraphrase the book of Allah. So if you're able to cite it from source without any mistakes, then that is better than uh, relying on your memory, which may fail you. 
So we're going to put in the search, Yufarriquna, because, Aywa. It's why 150. I, I, that I memorized uh, back when I was, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to mention what. Never mind. Remember, there was, it was a trend when, you know, the brother would say, in you know, Surah Al-Imran, Ayah 52, and then they will mention the ayah. He's like, MashaAllah, Tabarakallah, the brother has all the evidences in line. So I tried that at one, for once in my life, and I think this was the only ayah I remembered in reference with the surah and the number. Everything else didn't work. Hey, Ya Sheikh, where were you earlier, Ya Sheikh? <laughs> I was waiting for you. It's 150, sir. Allahu Akbar. Listen to the translation. Indeed, those who disbelieve in Allah and His messengers and wish to discriminate between Allah and His messengers and say we believe in some and disbelieve in others. A Christian who says, I believe in La ilaha illallah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Moses, I believe in Solomon, I believe in David, I believe in all, but Muhammad mm, not, is an Arab in the Arabian Peninsula. I'm, I'm from you know, Ireland, I don't know from where. Not really interested. I'm not interested in what an Arab man in the desert had to say. That's, that's the mentality of some. You know, Islam is a religion for Arabs, quote-unquote. It is not relevant to the rest of the world. And they don't feel this connection, you know, this ethnic connection or this cultural connection with the Prophet ﷺ. And therefore, it's, it's, you know, it makes it okay to reject his religion, which is a very strange approach to things. Anyways, and wish to adopt a way in between. Those are the disbelievers truly. So this is a fatwa. From Rabbil Alameen, that anybody, anybody who wants to make this distinction between Allah and His messengers by explicitly saying we would believe in some and disbelieve in others, these are Ula'ika humul kafiruna haqqa. If even haqqa wasn't there, it's understood. Those are the disbelievers. This is for tawkid, for emphasis, that those are truly the disbelievers in the sight of Allah. Anybody who dares to make a distinction. Another ayah which you could use is Kathabat Qawmunuhin. Al-Mursaleen, the people of Nuh, the people of Nuh, they kathabu, kathabat huh? obviously because of the, the grammar, but what did they belie? Al-Mursaleen. Now if you know Arabic, you know there's Rasul, messenger, Rusul is one type of jama' and Mursaleen is another type of jama', plural. How can the people of Nuh belie all the messengers when Nuh was the first messenger? Because when you belie one messenger, you have belied all of the messengers. And when you deny the second part of the shahada, you no longer believe in the first, which is what you were alluding to in the beginning. When you say, I don't believe in Ashadun and Muhammad Rasulullah, then you don't believe in La ilaha illallah. Because you're, you're, you're placing the conditions on Allah as to what you will accept and what you will reject. This is similar to you signing a contract with a company you sign a contract with a company and they tell you, look man, here's what you need to do, A, B, C, D, and one of them is you have to come to work from A till 3. And you follow all the rules and regulations of this company in the contract, however, you choose to come to work from 12 to 1, one hour. And they come and say, hey man, what you doing? I say, what? They say, you, you can't work here anymore, you're violating the contract. They say, no, no, I'm, I'm fulfilling 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, say, ah, forget that. Number 8, which is the working hours, you're not fulfilling. Will you be fired or not? 
did you did you really commit did you really commit to the contract with all of its you know all of these points you didn't you violating one aspect makes you qualified to be fired and have maybe no end of service and no rights or whatever could you know there could be even ramifications you could even go to prison they could sue you for not doing the job that they gave you so violating one aspect of this contract is equivalent to violating the entire contract if someone says i believe in la ilaha illallah but i don't believe in angels yeah habibi you don't believe in la ilaha illallah you think you do you've you've accepted a fact but you're just like iblis does iblis believe in allah surely does he believe in yawm al-qiyamah of course does he believe in malaika he was worshiping allah with them does he believe in qadr actually iblis has all the elements of iman if you think about it from a technical point of view did that translate into submission and iman that was beneficial for him absolutely not therefore you acknowledging acknowledging islam acknowledging the shahada does not mean that you've actually you know accepted it in the full sense that will benefit you in, in on yawm al-qiyamah are we clear do does anybody know how we got here Tfaddal. So the Shaykh is re-emphasizing because maybe we, among the doubts that were mentioned and weren't addressed, uh, the, the idea of rejecting the hadith. People that say, I'm just gonna, I'm going to accept the Quran. So one of the evidences that could be used is this particular ayah. And verily, Allah Azza wa Jalla said, we have sent down the dhikr, the reminder, so that you may clarify to the people what have been revealed unto them. Meaning this is through the statements of the Prophet Of course, another ayah which was supported, He does not speak of his own desire, it's merely revelation being revealed unto him. So we know that the sunnah is equivalent to the Quran in terms of authority. The Quran and the sunnah have equal authority. It's not Quran and then sunnah. It's Quran and Sunnah. But the Sunnah requires a, a verification process that the Quran does not require. That's it. Once the verification is done, a hadith could abrogate, abrogate an ayah. A hadith is enough for you to uh, you know, acquire a belief about Allah Azza wa Jal based on the hadith from the Prophet Ali <laughs> So indeed, what is, uh, what is literally apparent in the ayah, which is is that Allah has two actual hands. Thus, affirming that is obligatory due to this principle. So if someone were to say that the meaning of the hands is power, which is something that you will hear often, what is intended by hands is power, then we must say to, that, to him that this is changing the word of Allah from its literal meaning. And saying this is not permissible because it falls under, under what? Speaking about Allah without knowledge. What's the ayah? What's the evidence? We didn't mention, we didn't cite the evidence. It's in uh, Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number 33. Right? The end of the ayah says, وَأَن تَقُولُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ So you can mention Allah made forbidden and then you cite the end of the ayah. And that you should say about Allah that which you have no knowledge of. Now if I mention the reference in your own time, pull out the ayah, 
and maybe copy it and paste it or if you use it in traditional way, <coughs> excuse me, write the, the, the interpretation of meaning in English. So it could be something that you could have in your arsenal, not the football team. Um, in your arsenal and of da'wah. Because again, to give da'wah, there are certain ayat and ahadith that you have to have with you in order to communicate the message of Islam. You cannot be pulling out your phone and reading them every time, right? You might forget something every now and then. But there are certain things that are fundamental for da'wah. In order to, especially among you know, those of us who have family members that are on the other side of the spectrum in terms of, in terms of their belief, uh, they challenge you. And you need to be able to explain. Don't tell them, you know, my sheikh told me or some, you know, some guy I listened to said this in a, on a lecture on YouTube. That doesn't cut it for them, right? It doesn't. You need to be able to cite actual evidences for your own uh, <coughs> benefit. So that was the first principle. Any, any issues with the first? Everybody's clear? Very good. The actual in the book that that particular misconception is is explicitly and I think elaborated on big time. But just to say, a lot of people will use pre-Islam, uh, uh, you know, al-shair, shair al-jahiliya, and things of the sort to make certain assertions or certain claims about the meanings of certain words. The the reality of this is those are often selected by someone who is already predisposed on another belief system and now they're fetching for evidence to justify their position. The truth is the term yed, when you say yed, the first thing that comes to mind is a hand. That doesn't negate that the term hand could have a figurative meaning in a particular context. And it doesn't also mean sometimes that certain ayat, while we affirm the actual meaning, we also accept the other meanings which could be part of the language of the Arabs. What we don't want to do though is deny the apparent based on the figurative. So there are certain ayat which come along, you know, which, which bring this meaning. But you don't want to deny because when you deny, you need to have an evidence for your denial. When you say Allah does not have and we bring in all the other evidences, of course, because this is one ayah. Do we have other ayat and ahadith about the hands of Allah Azza wa Many. <laughs> Those other ones are not even open to this interpretation. So the idea that it's power does not even apply. If you were to substitute the word yad with power, you will wind up with a meaningless hadith or a meaningless concept. So you will have to use the other evidences to refute that as well. Tafadhal Habib. I'm, I'm sorry, I missed it. Uh, companion. Which companion? Yeah, once again. We, yeah, we don't deny. There could be many others. We don't deny the fact that certain ayat, for example, mentions Yadullahi, Fawqa Aidihim, other ayat of this nature that when you actually delve into the tafsir, you will find, based on what is intended, many different meanings. The difference between what we're trying to say and what is being said elsewhere is that if we go on to accept those other meanings which are from the Sahaba, it does not mean that we negate what the Sahaba didn't negate. 
So if you're going to say the Sahabi said this, but did the Sahabi negate the literal meaning? No. So why are you doing extra? Why are you negating what the Sahabi did not negate and accepting only one meaning? Because if you open a door of every ayah or every uh, uh, sifa not being literal, then you can no longer have any, any backbone in terms of your belief. Everybody could say anything about Allah Azza wa Jal and you cannot refute anyone because they say, well, well, this is what, you know, in my culture, that's what the word hand means. In my culture, that's what the word face means. Then you're, now your religion is lost like the Jews and the Christians. So unlike them, we have principles to go by. Right. So the second principle concerning Allah's names, now that second principle has many subdivisions. The first subdivision is all of Allah's names are the best. All of Allah's names are the best. This means that they all possess the highest extent of goodness. This is since they are comprised of perfect attributes. There are no deficiencies to be found in them in any way whatsoever. For Allah says, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa lahul asma'ul husna. Allah, there is no deity worthy of worship except Him. To him belong the best names. This is Surah Taha, ayah number 8. An example of this will be the name Ar-Rahman, which is one of the names of Allah, for it demonstrates a magnificent attribute, which is His vast mercy. We know, for example, that Ad-Dahr, what is Ad-Dahr? Time? Just because I make a, a, a reaction like this, don't doubt yourself right away, right? If I don't give you like an affirmative phase, don't think, oh, it's wrong. No, sometimes I trick you for, on purpose. So if you believe it's the right translation, say, yes, it is. Now, if you're wrong, it's going to be double trouble for you because you were, you know, adamant on being wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> until we reach that point, don't, change, don't sway by people's reaction. All right? This is, uh, this is a principle in life, actually, not just in, in da'wah, uh, in life. You engage with a lot of people in, in work, you know, at work with, with others in the society. Not every time you, you know, someone says something or you say something and people give you a reaction of, of rejection, then you automatically change your position and try to be accommodating. That is not always praiseworthy. It could be, there could be times if you're dealing with someone who's elder and you want to show respect to them, you know, you, you want to kind of navigate with someone who might not necessarily understand. But the, the default is, if you believe that what you're saying is correct, then be persistent and be confident and stick to your position unless you are proven wrong, in which case, be humble enough to admit. Oh, okay, my bad. I had a misunderstanding. Thank you so much. Don't be prideful. Some people, even after you prove to them that they're wrong, they still want to weasel their way out and find a reason not to accept the truth. This is not a characteristic of a Muslim ever, ever. If you have the equivalent of a grain of mustard of pride, you're deprived of Jannah according to the hadith. Subhanallah. What is pride? But people think pride is, you know, you, your appearance. And that's why the Sahabi said, Ya Rasulullah, one of us would love to have a nice pair of shoes and a nice, a nice garment. So, you know, and, and when you dress nice and you're wearing nice shoes, maybe something will enter your heart where you feel I'm better than everybody else, I'm superior, right? That shouldn't be your intention. But just in case, what did the Prophet ﷺ say? 
Allah is beautiful. He loves beauty. There's nothing wrong with you, you know, representing Islam in a good way in your appearance. You board a plane, you're mixing with people. It doesn't have to be that the Muslims are the ones who look like we're, you know, we've come from another planet. Some, some people, you know, they, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't look uh, pleasing, they don't smell pleasing. And whether, whether you realize it or not, you're actually turning people off from Islam. You're, you're doing a disservice to Islam by being uh, nonchalant. So I don't care what people think. Now, Habibi, you have to care what people think because you're representing Islam one way or another. So these, these occasions can be used actually to give da'wah. You, you taking care of yourself is means of you actually giving da'wah to others, opening the door of communication with others. So don't think that this is a type of zuhd. Anyways, the Sahaba basically said that Allah is beautiful, Zakal khair. And he loves beauty. He said, this is not it. Uh, this, that's not kibr. Kibr is rejecting the truth and belittling people. Rejecting the truth. Someone tells you you're wrong and you can't find it in yourself to admit that you're wrong. This is kibr. And if you have the equivalent of a grade of mustard, then Jannah is far away from that person. We seek refuge with Allah. So it's a very serious matter. So if somebody corrects you, stand corrected. Tamam. So at dahr which is time, Good answer. <laughs> is not one of the names of Allah, sah? What? Does anyone know the hadith? The hadith Qudsi? La tasubu dahar and? Allah. Tayyib. We have two, two, two narrations. I am time and verily Allah is time. We're not going to discuss that now. But the hadith mentions, the idea, the idea is that Allah is time according to, according to the hadith. Tamam? So does, does that mean that it's a, a, a name of Allah? <laughs> it does not possess a meaning. Why does it not qualify? It does not possess a meaning that reaches the highest extent of goodness. Tamam? Of course, the meaning of the hadith, which is also explained in the longer version of the Sharh of the Aqid al wasatiyah is that Allah is in control of time. Meaning when you, when someone says, uh, among the Arabs, it's, it's very common for someone to say, uh, This is something that they say day in and day out. You know, may Allah curse the hour that I met you in. Because of them being ha unhappy with whatever happened. And you're cursing the, the hour, but... Did, did, that, did that event happen within the qadr of Allah or outside the qadr of Allah? It's within the qadr of Allah. Did Allah decree it? So therefore you're criticizing, basically you're cursing Allah for having decreed you meeting this person. So this is how it's understood. So anyways, the term dahr does not reach that extent of excellence and goodness and therefore it doesn't count. As for the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, do not curse time, for indeed Allah is at dahr at time, then its meaning is that He is the owner of time. I'm reading now the actual text. The one who dispenses it. This change occurs based on the evidence found in the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, in the second narration of the hadith in which Allah says, in my hand is the command, I turn in cycles the night and the day. So the actual continuation of the hadith explains the beginning of the hadith. Tamam? Alhamdulillah. So that's the first subdivision. The second subdivision of the second principle, the names of Allah are not confined to a fixed and definite number. True or false? The names of Allah are not fixed to a confined and definite number. How many do we have? 
خلاص Wonderful, wonderful misquotation, not misquotation, wonderful citation of an evidence that doesn't apply. Tamam. <laughs> we were good in the beginning. Let's get something more active. Tfaddal. Aha, Ali Sussalam, aywa. Translate to the people the, or, or is that too much for you? Yalla, ya Sheikh, give it. See, as soon as I give you a way out, ala tool, you exit. La, go ahead, translate. Try, try. We'll, we'll work together, inshallah. Okay. Creation. Or now the shahid, or <coughs> yeah, or you basically one of the adayah of the, Allah's messenger, alayhi salam, he was he was calling on Allah by every name that Allah named Himself with, whether He revealed it to us, or whether He taught it to one of His creation, or whether He kept it to Himself in the knowledge of the unseen. So this is a clear hadith. That there are names of Allah that Allah has kept for Himself, that He didn't reveal to His creation, and the Prophet was was making du'a to Allah through those names that we don't even know. Now, some of the scholars say, on Yom Al Qiyamah, when the people will be standing in the heat of of the sun for how many years? Fifty thousand years. You sit here for 50 minutes and as the, the sheikh said, your legs start talking to you and you want to stretch and you start imagining walking outside and drinking coffee and, and going I don't know where. Uh, we're, we're impatient human beings, right? And we're weak, we're weak. But uh, if you stand, uh, even let's say if you go to, uh, I don't know, you know, you guys don't have magic mountains here. What do they call them? Rides. Okay. Let's say when you were a kid, you don't go on a ride. How long would you wait in the queue for you to get on the ride? Eh, 10 15 minutes it seemed like it seemed like eternity but you know people would would even that you'd be impatient so we don't have the patience to really wait for a long time C can you imagine what 50,000 years will be like 50,000 years yes 50,000 years and the sun will be according to some of the interpretations meal which either could be that part of the uh, eyeliner the al-kuhl that that they, they use which is a very small distance or let's say a mile which is you know, how many kilometers? MashaAllah. <laughs> guys are on point. <coughs> I can never remember that. Type. Which is still relatively close. 50,000 years, people will be drowning in their own perspiration, in their own sweat, waiting, waiting for judgment. They don't even know what's going on yet. Right? So, for the believer, for the believer, especially those seven. And because of other narrations, it's actually more than seven. But just 
if we want to limit them or we want to stay to the stick to the lowest number, seven will be under the shade of Allah on the day where there's no shade but his shade. For those people, it will be like the time between Salat al Dhuhr and Asr. Just, uh, just uh, and over here, the time between Dhuhr and Asr is what, yes, Sheikh? An hour? I was surprised. We finished Jum'ah, they said we're praying Asr. And so uh, where, I, where I come from, that's, that's uh, not happening. Right? There's a good three, four hours between Dhuhr and Asr. <laughs> Al-Muhim, that's a very short time. That's a very short time. The Prophet ﷺ will be called for, for intercession after the people will suffer and they go to all the Prophets and every messenger will say, Nafsi, Nafsi, myself, myself, you know, go to Fulan. They, get, they will name the other Prophet to go to. The only one who will say, Ana laha, I'm for it. I will take care of this is... Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. Then he will beg Allah. He will be prostrate before Allah and make dua. Allah will give him this ability to make dua that has never been made. Some of the scholars say it is actually those, some of these names which we don't know. That we don't know right now. That he will be, he will praise Allah in a way that we're not familiar with. Ala kulli hal. I know I went off the topic, but it's everything, every reminder might benefit some, someone somehow. You see, so even though we're discussing something, if... If I think of something that might be relevant, some of us might need a good reminder about uh, the, the, the severity of Jahannam. Maybe more so than the technicalities of the Aqeedah. Right? So if you find an opportunity to remind, even when you're sitting among your peers, you're sitting among your friends, you get the chance to remind the people, this is actually a very effective way of giving da'wah. You get on an airplane, you're forced to sit to non, to non, next to a non-Muslim. Don't tell me you're going to, you know, the whole flight, you're not going to say anything about Islam. You're going to be shy. Really though, think about it. Okay, if it's a female, that's a whole other disaster, right? Because why are you sitting next to her in the first place? You can't change the seats, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that. But let's assume it's a man. It's a man next to you. You're not going to use an opportunity to try to give da'wah. Even if you fail, ya akhi. You, you know, you start a conversation. Whatever conversation you can start. You could look outside the window and say, isn't it amazing? You know, look at this vastness of the sky. Look at this airplane. How in the world are we even on an airplane? flying for eight hours nine hours I, every time i ride every time i board a plane i'm baffled like how in the world are all these people in a compartment flying i don't know at what speed from one country to another over oceans and overseas and over land and maybe the pilot is asleep <laughs> you know the pilot might be knocked out cold and he has this co-pilot with him and i don't know what's going on in the front in the cockpit i've never been there uh, for good reasons I think as a Muslim, you don't want to visit the cockpit generally. <laughs> just in case someone says, hey, you know, what are you doing? I don't know what's going on, but you know, based on what I've seen, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that we're flying this, this uh, means of transportation in, in, in midair. Who made this? Humans. If humans, with all of our problems and deficiencies, were able to make this, then what about the one who made humans? You see? Very simple. Now, this person may agree or may say, ah, get out of here with that stuff. Right? No problem. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Sorry to disturb you. You know? Khalas. Khalas. You've done your job. At least, at least you can come on Yom Al-Qiyamah and if, for whatever reason, I, I tried. I tried and the, the person was not interested. And you'll be surprised how many people eventually become Muslim. Mind you, he doesn't have to, you know, while you're landing, say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. And some people want the, you know, immediately. Yeah, akhi, maybe you, maybe you started it. Maybe five years later, someone will continue what you started. Yeah, it's not your job now to follow up and make sure that you, maybe 10 years from now, he'll become Muslim, but he will remember that first incident with you. 
Maybe this statement will make him, for example, he's walking by, he sees a bunch of books, huh? And then one of his books speaks about religion. He would not have been interested in ever reading this, but because of this conversation you had, maybe he wants to refute you. Maybe he wants to prepare an answer in the future. He winds up picking up a book and he becomes a Muslim because of that. We've heard many stories of people, you know, reading the Quran to refute Muslims and then they wind up becoming Muslims themselves. Your job is to give da'wah. Call people to Tawheed. Successful, unsuccessful people, revert, people don't revert. None of your business. And it's not about saying, you know, 50 people became Muslim through me. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. Hey, clap for me. Ajlis ya sheikh. Did you receive a receipt from, from heavens that it was accepted from you, Aslan? It's not a competition of how many shahada you've made. If you've ever given shahada, keep it to yourself. Wallahi, don't, don't ever announce it to the people. People ask you, how many shahadas have you made? I don't know. I, I don't know. Don't speak about it. Because as soon as, you, as soon as your mind starts telling you, let the people admire you, خلاص, you, could, you could pack your stuff and go home. Your good deeds are out the window. Everything you've done is down the drain. Why? Because people love, love admiration and praise. Don't open the door for the shaitan. Do everything low-key in private. Don't announce it. Don't let anyone know. Allah knows what's happening. خلاص, your job is to give da'wah. But don't be complacent and, and, and shy. Don't be shy from giving da'wah to people. So when an opportunity arises for you to give da'wah to anybody, anywhere, capitalize on it. And the rest is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tamam. So the hadith man <coughs> mentions that they are names of Allah azza wa jalla that we don't know. Therefore, the names of Allah are not confined or fixed to a definite number. Type. Now, how do we combine this? How do we combine this with the hadith of verily Allah has 99 names? Whoever takes account of them, i.e., memorizes them, learns and supplicates by them, will enter paradise. How do we? Understand those two hadith together. One hadith telling you Allah has 99 names. Oh, the time is up. Yeah. I forgot about the 10 minutes. I'm sorry. Yeah. I will finish this one. Forgive me. Um, where was I? Exactly. Huh? Everywhere. No, somebody might as well say al al We know the 99 names. There's a more specific point. I was saying something else. Huh? Aywa, aywa, how do we merge, how do we reconcile, there you go, that's the term I'm looking for, how do we reconcile between the hadith that says Allah has 99 names and a hadith that is saying that there are more than that. Is there a mirror behind me that you're reading? Are you reading something from off my screen? That's the example that, the, that is even mentioned here. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. Did give you a star? I don't have a star. So the fact that the hadith mentions 99, it is actually not restricting it. It's like you're saying, I have 100 pounds uh, you know, to give in donation. Does that mean that that's all the money that you have? No, it means you might have more money, but you chose to give 100 pounds. So anyways, Zakallah khair, that was on point. We'll take a how many minutes break, Sheikh? Um, 15 minutes. 15 minutes break. Inshallah, you could refresh and do what you got to do. We'll, we'll catch you in a bit, Inshallah. Zakallah khair. So it's 8.44 now, 9 o'clock sharp, Inshallah. We will resume. Barakallah fikum. طيب الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على بينا محمد أما بعد excuse me the third subdivision oh oh by the way I should make that disclaimer because I understand and it's my fault I take responsibility for my mistake some of you were referring to the metan 
uh, on your devices or maybe you actually you have the actual book and you're waiting for me to go over the, the actual thing. Uh, so I think I explained in the beginning, but maybe I wasn't uh, elaborative enough. I am not going to go over the metin in that sense. And therefore, I suggest that you take notes from scratch on a blank piece of paper that is not related to any text that you already have. Tamam. Later on, however, if you want to integrate the principles that we got from here into another book or the actual metin for you to write, you know, write your own notes, that's, that's up to you. Obviously, it's none of my business. But don't rely on any, don't wait for me to cover a particular sentence or a statement or an ayah from the existing metin because you might spend your time with some brothers scrolling up and down looking for where I'm at and I'm, I'm somewhere else. You can see that I'm uh, a little unorthodox in the sense because I, I, want, I want this to be engaging and I don't want you to be bored. At the same time, we want to try to uh, you know, have beneficial knowledge. And I understand every uh, ustad or every speaker, every day has his own methodology has his own style has his own approach and this is this the same way there was uh, the way of Abu Bakr and the way of Umar and the way of Uthman and Ali they were not the same so you know you could you could have your own preferences or you could appreciate a certain approach more than other that's that's all within within the acceptable uh, so if my way is not what you're accustomed to I apologize uh, but you know that's that's how I roll and hopefully it you know it will click at some point in time uh, so yeah, don't, don't rely on the text. So the third subdivision is the names of Allah are not affirmed by the intellect. <coughs> they can only be affirmed by revelation. Objection, your honor. What do you mean? How could we not use our intellect when Allah told us in multiple occasions in the Quran, أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ أَفَلَا يَعْقِلُونَ And you know, you're, you're given the intellect fundamentally to understand and now we're saying that you cannot understand based on your intellect. There's an apparent contradiction or what appears to be a contradiction between, those, between these two facts. So how do we tackle this misconception? Tfaddal ya Sheikh. Tamam. And therefore, it's. Okay, many things or, or nothing. We are like uh, spiders or flies. Uh huh. We are like flies. Okay. What, has, what Allah SWT gave us, that's all we have. Zakallah khair. Good. Tfaddal. Uh huh. So the names and attributes are from the unseen, and are, Limited. but then then Allah is from the unseen, the angels from the unseen. The, you still believe in them based on your intellect, no? Did you did you believe in them independent of your intellect, or did you use your intellect to arrive at this belief? Uh huh. And then it says, "I'm done. I'm going to sleep," and then you turn on something else to understand. Nah. Good, not good enough. We still have a problem. Tfaddal. Uh, 
Let's just say for now that all of these answers are very advanced and the answer is much simpler than that. Think we're, we're overthinking the process before we think about, you know, technicalities. Let's just face value straightforward. Like this is the text you put your aql above it. We're not supposed to do that. Tamam. But that's the question though. The question is, how do we address this? Tfaddal. All right. Let's keep trying. That's the closest. We keep trying. We're good, by the way. Everybody's good. I'm just, I'm just trying to get more. Tfaddal. I'm sorry, repeat that. Okay, F fair enough. Tfaddal. Good, good. We're putting the puzzle together. We almost have a full picture. Still missing a few pieces. Tfaddal. Uh huh. Okay. That these are names that you've invented. Allah did not send down any authority concerning them. Fine, fair enough. That's another piece of the puzzle. Tfaddal. Oppa. Are we getting into... There's no involvement of the intellect in the matters of the unseen. Istidlal. Tayyib. That's the closest thing. That's the closest and the simplest answer. The bottom line is nobody's telling you to to uh, uh, restrict or to uh, leave off your intellectual capabilities. Rather, you are expected to use your intellect to understand and submit, not to oppose. That's the whole point. The whole point is if I'm going to use my intellect to judge the validity of a name or an attribute of Allah based on my, my perceived logic, then I have given my intellect more than what it deserves. No one's telling you to stop thinking or not use your intellect. At the same time, you cannot use your intellect to the point where you now object or reject the Quran and the Sunnah. You use your intellect to better understand the revelation. So the purpose of the intellect is to understand the revelation, not to... Uh, assign it as a contender to the revelation. The reason why many of these people have gone astray from these other schools of thoughts, ideological schools of thoughts, is because they've actually made their intellect the main source and reference of acceptability and rejection of textual evidence. And there's no way on this earth you're going to give precedence to your limited intellect over textual evidence. The, just off the bat, as soon as someone tells you that, say, okay, chief, no problem. 864 times 752. Can anyone give me an answer? Do we have a mathematician here? I mean, these are three digits by three digits for Allah's sake. Come on now. You have an answer. Seriously. Did you use a calculator? Tfaddal. Oh, you, you wrote it down. Tfaddal. How is 864 times 1,000, man? <laughs> we, we, we should add a few zeros. No, 
You added them, I wanted multiplication. Oh, you added them, okay, not bad. Still, still the young man had to go through a process in order, so the, the average man who thinks he's, I don't know what he thinks he is, is unable to multiply three digits by three digits, and then with this deficient brain, he wants to look into the Quran and say, uh, Wallahi, this one makes sense to me, this one doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? What are you talking What are you talking about? Who are you, Aslan? What, who told you that you're this, this, whatever you have in here, or according to the Quran and the Sunnah, it's also in here, actually, because it's, you know, they have biha. They have hearts with which they understand. Whether the brain, the brain is involved in the thinking process, but it's actually the hearts. Besides the point, who are you to assess the Quran and the Sunnah based on what you and or you don't understand when we already know that generally you don't understand? You see? So this is a, a defining point so that we don't go astray. And that's what Shaykh al-Islam himself, rahimahullah, and others, they have authored books on the matter of uh, tadaru or the conflict between al-aql and naql. Aql is uh, intellect and naql, naql that which has been conveyed to us, i.e. textual evidence, i.e. an ayah from the book of Allah, a hadith from Allah's messenger, alayhi salatu salam. Never ever do you give importance, preference, precedence to your intellectual ability over a revelation. The revelation comes. You're able to understand it. Congratulations. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I'm happy for you. You cannot understand it. Accuse yourself of not being able to understand. Just like you're unable to understand many things. I, I for one. You could give me the most straightforward direction. And I promise you I will get lost. You could tell me go straight. You know, I used to live in Jeddah on, on Medina Road. Right off Medina Road. And there was Masjid Al-Malik Saud where Sheikh Muhammad Bakhtar Shankiti used to give the class. All I had to do was exit from my house, go straight on the road, make a U-turn to make it to the masjid, and then on the way back, I'm already on the way back home. Almost every time I will get lost, going to the masjid and coming back. You would look at me and say, Mustahil, you must have a brain of a two-month-old two baby for you to get lost going straight, ya akhi. And the one time in my life when someone gave me directions to go to their place, it's actually a funny story. I was with my family, and I'm on the road, and I'm surprised that I actually know the way without using Google Maps. And I literally said to my family, I said, Alhamdulillah, I'm, this is the first time in my life where I'm actually, I feel like I'm going to make it to the, my destination on my own based on my memory. Guess what? Two minutes later, I was on the wrong road. <laughs> we were laughing for days. Just when I thought that I figured it out, turns out that I really didn't figure it out. I was on a parallel street to the one I was supposed to be on. When I made it till the end, I was like, where's the, where's the brother's house? I'm not on, uh, you know, I don't know what, King Fahad Street. I forgot the name of the road back in Jeddah. A shahid, I don't have a sense of direction. Subhanallah. Allah is was wise. He didn't give me a sense of direction. I accept the qadr of Allah. I know. I have a problem with that. So when someone gives me directions and I, I don't grasp it and, you know, my family gets irritated. Say, listen, can you just hear me? I'm, I'm going to explain. Why are, you why are you assuming that you will not understand? Because I know that I will not understand. It somehow goes from here, right out of here. And then if there wasn't Google Maps, I would never make it to a destination. Aslan. A shahid, khalas, I accuse my intellectual disability. In a sense that I don't have a sense of direction, I accept that. Similarly, if you come across an ayah or a hadith that you cannot wrap your head around, ma'lish, be nice enough to say, maybe I just don't understand. Don't go accusing or invalidating or rejecting something that Allah revealed. Or something that the Prophet ﷺ spoke. 
because you couldn't understand it. And mind you, there is no such thing as insignificant in Islam. If the Messenger of Allah said it once, if he said it once, it becomes revelation. So when the Prophet asked the slave girl, Ain Allah, where is Allah? And she pointed to the sky and said, Fissama. This will remain until Yawm Al-Qiyamah a significant matter of Aqeedah. No one has the right to undermine and say there's only one hadith or it's only one incident or this or that. No, 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 no. Khalas. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's from Allah's Messenger, you have to accept it. It's revelation. You have to accept it. Now, your mind can't grasp it. You get into philosophy. But we're in this, you know, the world is round. And so if Allah is above and people are on the other side, this is where the, when the Muslims mix with all these philosophers, they got lost. Because they started introducing ideas that you don't need to think about. We will address those misconceptions later, inshallah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You, you give precedence to the, uh, the revelation over your intellect. <laughs> so the names of Allah are based upon revelation as such. Their affirmation is dependent upon what is reported in the revealed texts concerning them. Therefore, nothing can be added nor can be subtracted. This is because the intellect is not able to itself ascertain which names of Allah is most deserving of. So it is obligatory to depend upon the revealed text for determining that. Also, naming Allah with that which he did not name himself, or rejecting what he did name himself with, is a crime against him and a perpetration of his right. Thus, aiding by, abiding by the proper etiquettes with regard to that is obligatory. For you to... Accept a name or reject, add a name that is not there. You know, like the philosophers say is, you know, Allah is the, the causer or they, they have all these other terms that they use. You don't, you don't need any of that. You don't need to uh, outsource any additional information from outside of Islam to describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one knew Allah better than Allah's Messenger والسلام, and what he told us is sufficient for us. So we restrict ourselves to what the Prophet used as means of describing Allah. So what he affirmed, we affirm. What he denied, we deny and we follow those footsteps. Bismillah. The fourth subdivision, you guys are following? Are you writing the, the, you've already written three subdivisions for the, which, this is which principle, first or second? Second, tamam. The fourth subdivision, the meaning of each of Allah's names apply to, number one, Allah himself. The meaning of each of Allah's names applies to Allah himself. Number two, the attribute that such a name implies. And number three, the effect of this attribute. So, faith in Allah's names cannot be complete without affirming all of this. So, there are three Three subcategories to this particular subdivision. Number one, the meaning of Allah's names apply to Allah Himself. And the attribute that such a name implies. We'll give an example to get the point closer, inshallah, but just for now, write the, the general uh, statement. And the effect of such an attribute. An example of those names is Al Azim. Al Azim. One one's faith is not complete until he believes that it is the name of Allah whose meaning applies to Allah himself, as well as the attribute that it encompasses, which is his magnificence, uh, his magnificence, عفوا, which is known as Al-Azamah. Al-Azamah. So Allah is Al-Azim and he has Azamah. So the attribute of Azamah is attributed to Allah Azza wa Jalla himself. It's not that it's a void, it's, it's a name on its own. 
or an attribute of its own without accepting what it implies. So the attributes have implications. You believe in the name, the attribute, and the implication of the attribute. One's faith is not, and the same thing can be said about Ar-Rahman. One's faith is not complete until he believes that it is the name of Allah that applies to himself. The attribute that it encompasses, which is his mercy, and that which results from that, which is the grant, the mercy that Allah Azza wa grants to whomever he wills. Now, in, in, uh, to my surprise, at some point in time, some uh, individual, the random individual, insisted in a discussion I had with him online that Allah Azza wa Jal, Ar-Rahim, has nothing to do with Rahmah. Don't ask me how. Ar-Rahim has nothing to do with Rahmah and it is not permissible, according to him, to describe Allah Azza wa Jal as being Ar-Rahman or Ar-Rahim. Why? Because this is a sign of weakness. You showing mercy, you showing mercy is a sign of weakness. And Allah is Al-Jabbar, and Allah is Al-Qawi, and Allah is Al-Aziz. He thought you know, of all these other names and attributes of Allah that imply you know, Allah, that Allah is revengeful, right? Al-Muntaqim. So according to him, they, 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 cannot be, they cannot coexist, those particular attributes. And he was bringing me evidences from, I don't know what, you know, invented resources, invented books, invented references. And the person insisted that I am upon misguidance because I believe that Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim are attributes of Allah that denote mercy. So in the world out there, you will be surprised what kind of belief systems people, people have adopted and, and based on what, what sources that they have. So be very wary of someone that tries to introduce uh, innovative ideologies that are not uh, supported by evidences from the Quran and the Sunnah. Tamam. The third principle concerning Allah's attributes, which also has further subdivisions, the first subdivision of the third principle is all of Allah's attributes are of the highest degree of perfection and praise possible. There is no deficiency found in them in any way whatsoever. Some examples of these attributes are Allah's Azawajal's life being living, Allah's ilm, knowledge, Allah's qudra, ability, Allah's sam'a, his hearing, Allah's basar, his seeing, Allah's hikmah or his wisdom, Allah's rahmah or his mercy, and uh, Allah's uh, uh, highness or loftiness, al-ulu, and so on and so forth, and, and, and the rest of them. Allah says in the Quran in Surah Al-Nahl, ayah number 60, and for Allah is the highest attribute. That's one of the translations. And He is the one full of might and all wise. So it is also because the Lord is absolutely perfect. Thus His attributes must be perfect. So all of the attributes of Allah are perfect. And this is one of the elements where the, the common attributes that exist among the creation of Allah and Allah Azza wa Jal, this is one of the points of distinctions that we highlight. So when we say that humans are Sami' Basir, right? Do we have an evidence that you are Sami' Basir? Can anyone think of an ayah from the Quran that proves that you, specifically, you are Sami' Basira? Good, give me a better one. Ayuwa? Hino min dahri Ayuwa? Continue the... فَجَعَلْنَاهُ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Right, right in the, again, 
Anytime we look for an evidence, many evidences can apply. And it's good. The more, the merrier. The more, the better. But always, if, if you're able to get the most precise, the most deliberate, the most specific, then this closes the door of further back and forth in negotiation. So the dalil that is straight in the core is the best kind of evidence that you could refer to. And you'll be surprised how many things or how many evidences are within the Quran and Sunnah that people just don't know because they're not commonly quoted. They're not commonly quoted among the people. That, one ayah is usually referred you know, to for a particular point or for a particular principle in Islam. Even though there are many other principles or many other ayat or ahadith that are more specific to the matter, but they're not prevalent among the people. So th that's why when you listen to different speakers who are upon the truth, you will, you will benefit in a sense that you will get from each one his own, uh, his own, يعني, uh, what is the term, of knowledge, his own container, his own, uh, I don't know, resource, whatever you want to call it. You will find different, uh, different mashayikh, especially when you refer to the senior scholars, they're, they're not alike. Sheikh bin Baz, rahimahullah, is not like Sheikh bin Uthaymeen. And neither one of them is anywhere close to Sheikh Al-Albani. Tamam? Uh, so if you listen to those mashayikh, you will be, you'll be actually surprised. The complete different approach in even this, the way they speak. Sheikh Ben Baz is not easy for, for uh, a uh, non-Arab to understand. Because of, of the way he spoke rahimahullah. So some people struggle in trying to actually understand what the Sheikh was saying. Sheikh Ben Uthaymeen rahimahullah is very, very articulate in terms of his, how he pronounces the word. So you can easily grasp what the Sheikh is saying. Uh, Sheikh Al-Albani, he has a mixture of, you know, his background, he's, he's Albanian, but he was in Jordan, and he was in Syria and Levant, so he, the, the Levant accent kicks in, in in many of his conversations, so you have to have a certain background to even connect some of these dots. And his approach is unlike the, the approach of the other mashayikh, but you exposing yourself and, and to all of these will actually allow you to have a lot more information than if you were to listen to only one. Because the evidences that each one of them will quote will often be different. Sheikh Al-Albani is, is very much about hadith, rahimahullah. And so his ability to cite a hadith uh, with references and knowing that this hadith is already, you know, is already dead tahqiq of in Sunan al-Tirmidhi or Sunan Abi Dawood or something, it's not going to be something that Sheikh bin Uthameen has. Sheikh bin Baz was closer to, to, to knowledge of hadith than Sheikh bin Uthameen alayhi rahmatullah. But then when it comes to matters of, of you know, understanding certain things, Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen is the easiest for you to comprehend and understand. And it, it, it makes the, you know, the act of, of acquiring knowledge actually uh, uh, beautiful. You, you enjoy learning from the Sheikh. So try, to, try to introduce yourself or try to uh, expose, I don't know if this is the right term, expose yourself. It sounds, it sounds it has like a negative connotation. Is there a better word than expose yourself? Acquaint yourself? Yeah. Acquaintance, acquaintance is, is not really a strong connection. Accustom, accustom yourself, Mashi, that's, that's better. But I, I still have a problem. I think exposing yourself sounds, <laughs> sounds like a bad thing. I'll try to get familiar maybe with, with a lot more mashayikh. And so you could, uh, you could learn more, inshallah. So the, the circle of evidences or the evidence that they use will vary uh, big time. How did we get here? This is always, that will be something I will ask inshallah to make sure that you're still following and you're on track. How did we get to this point? Yeah, Captain. How did we get to this? Uh, 
اي صح so when we're talking about that we are hearing and seeing we could cite many evidences from the Quran but if we're able to find an evidence in general that is straight to the point then that would be ideal inshallah ta'ala طيب so based on this this is one of the elements so if 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 you are sami'an basira and Allah azza wa jal also called himself sami'an basira what is the difference between your attribute and the attribute of Allah Therefore, are they really alike? No. So there's a commonality, there's a common trait between the attribute Allah has given you and Allah's attribute. There's a, there's a point of commonality, but it is not an identical trait as Allah's Azza wa Jal. Because Allah can hear all the sounds everywhere simultaneously. Not only that, Allah replies to everybody who's reciting Fatiha, true or false. So when we stand in Salah, this is only one masjid, right? And the, the people in Salatul Asr or Maghrib or whatever for Muhammad Masjid, how many of us were there? If, when you say Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, what does Allah Azza wa Jal say? Hamidani Abdi. Say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Allah say Athna Alayya Abdi. Malik Yawm Al-Din. Allah says Majjadani Abdi. Iyaka Na'budu. Every time you actually, that's why the sunnah is to recite an ayah according to some of the ulama and you pause because Allah Azza wa Jal is actually responding to you. So, are you able to respond to multiple people simultaneously? No. So these are, these are attributes of Allah that are unlike His creation in any way, shape or form. Similarly, Allah hears everybody, everywhere, all at the same time. And, and the, the variation of, of voices and sounds do not affect Him. Do not affect Him in any way, shape or form. So this attribute of Allah is in the epitome of perfection actually. It's the epitome of perfection to be able to see everyone everywhere simultaneously and hear everyone everywhere simultaneously and know everything everywhere simultaneously and arrange the affairs of the creation. And uh, you know, He gives life to whomever He wills. He goes his death to whomever He wills. All of this is being managed and controlled all at the same time. How many people are on earth? And how many people have lived? And how many, it's, it's wild. It's wild. But subhanallah al-azim, laysa kamithli shay. There's nothing like Allah Azza wa Jal. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ There's none co-equal to him. So that's part of our belief. That's one of the distinctions we made. Your hearing, your seeing are deficient. You can't even hear, you know, you can't even hear what's happening behind the door, let alone being able to hear everyone at the same time. <coughs> so if an attribute is deficient and imperfect, then it is restricted from him, from Allah. Such as death, ignorance, inability, Deafness, blindness, and other than that. That's why this uh, common da'wah tactic of saying, you know, there are so many things that Allah cannot do is actually not from the way of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. That is not a speech that a believer in Allah should ever utter. You assume good, maybe they thought this was a smart way to, you know, win over people or to make a thing, but at the end of the day, we, we don't delve into those matters because that is a philosophical approach to the names and attributes of Allah. Why would you, when Allah says, Wallahu ala kulli shayin qadir, Allah is able to do all things, I say, let me tell you things that Allah cannot do. Aslan, this is lack of manners with Allah. This is lack of manners with Allah. The anbiya the, the, the would not even attribute to Allah what they know is from Allah. وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ Ibrahim said, when I become sick, Allah cures me. How did you become sick? Did you become sick without Allah's permission? You became sick. Allah made you sick. And Allah, Allah gave you the cure. 
But Ibrahim alayhi salam and other, you know, we learned this from the, from the Anbiya, they wouldn't. If I become sick, he blames the, the, the sickness to himself. It is he who guides me. Similarly, Yusuf alayhi salam. The same thing. He mentioned when he entered the prison and everything happened, he, he didn't attribute it to Allah. He only mentioned what Allah azza released him from prison. But at the end of the day, he was put in Ghayab al-Jubb and he was entered the well and everything that happened to him is also by the Qadr of Allah, by the decree of Allah. So this is from the manners with Allah. So it's from the manners with Allah is that you don't say, let me tell you what Allah is unable to do. Or there's a hundred things or a thousand things that Allah cannot do. La, ma yinfa. Kalam, hadha al-kalam la yinfa. Ma yistaqeem aslam. So anyways, uh, so any attribute of, that, of this nature cannot be attributed to Allah. This is because Allah will punish those who describe him with deficiencies. And he has freed himself from all defects that they attribute to him. Also, it is not possible for the Lord, the Rabb subhanahu wa ta'ala, to have a defect due to the incompatibility of deficiency with the aspect of Lordship or Rububiyyah. So from the definitions and from the understanding of Ar-Rabb, the Lord, is that there is perfection. From, from when we say Ar-Rabb, Allah is Ar-Rabb, i.e. Al-Khaliq, Al-Malik, Al-Mudabbir. These are the main three attributes that the scholars refer to that fall under Rububiyyah. There's more, but the three core ones that fall under Rububiyyah is Al-Mulk, Wal-Khalq, Al-Khalq, Wal-Mulk, Wal-Tadbir. The creation, the, the sovereignty or the dominion, and the arranging of affairs. Those cannot coexist with any, with, they cannot be compatible with any deficiency. Because if Allah Azzawajal were to be deficient in any way, shape, or form, then those three cannot be managed. That's why we say in Surah Al in Ayat Al Kursi, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al Hayy al Qayyum, la ta'khuduhu sinatun wa la nawm. No, no uh, slumberness or no uh, fatigue or no sleep, no sleep uh, overtakes him. Subhanahu wa Taala. The other ayah speaks about fatigue, which I who knows the ayah that refutes the Jews. The Jews, they say that Allah created the heavens and the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh. Surah Kaf, Ahsant. Give me the beginning of the ayah, Tayyib. Give me this, the last word. <laughs> Repeat. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامٍ وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِنْ This is a clear refutation against the Jews. And by default, the Christians who, you know, the, the, the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament is a, is a combination of, of confusion, aslan. And verily, we have created the heavens and the earth and whatever between them in six days and no fatigue touched us. وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِنْ No tiredness overtook us. So this is, this is that if, if Allah were to be, be tired, this is incompatible with rububiyyah, which requires creating and being the sovereign and maintaining the creation and arranging their affairs. So any attribute that is of deficiency, by default, it is not Allah. Why? Because Allah has all the perfect attributes and the epitome of perfection in each of them. So here, this, uh, this creates uh, an issue. Let's delve a little bit deeper. If an attribute is perfect in one way and deficient in another way, then it is not affirmed for Allah, nor is it restricted from Him in the absolute sense. 
Rather, a distinction between the two cases must be made. Thus, it is affirmed for Allah in the circumstances when it is perfect and it is not possible to affirm it for Him in the condition when it is deficient. Now you, gentlemen, give me an example. Uh, let, let, me, let me try to get excuse me, people, people that haven't gotten involved as much. And then I already know, mashallah, those who are, will raise their hands. But those of you who have been on silent mode, يعني, uh, give it a try. Give it a go. Kalam, kalam, speech. So, there there could be an occasion where speech will be deficient. Ah, okay. That's not tamam, mashi. That that's subject to further discussion because we're not we're not making right now a distinction between the attribute and the name. No, we're talking about the attribute. Just the attribute itself. There could be an example of certain attributes which are. In certain context, they're, they're praiseworthy. In other contexts, they're not praiseworthy. So we have to hold a similar position. You cannot give it an absolute affirmation without a context. And you cannot deny it because it's been attributed to Allah. So we have some examples. That's a valid point, but not for what I'm asking for. Actually, this is mentioned in, in, the, in the sharh of the, the book. That, you know, sleep, sleepness is a, is a perfection, is a requirement for a human being. Because if you don't sleep, you have insomnia, you have a problem. But for Allah, as well, something else. It's good, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking at certain attributes that are not absolutely confirmed until further notice. Hey, Ahsan, translate, ya Captain. I... Hey, if you want to, one of the one of the things that we need to consider when giving da'wah is language, being as bilingual as possible. I know it's not easy, especially if your mother language is English, and now trying to learn the Arabic is. Yeah, I know it's a it's a very uh, mount, difficult mountain to climb, but it's doable. Mashallah, tabarakallah. We've met hundreds, if not thousands, of brothers who've mastered the Arabic language better than the Arabs. Tamam. So this. By the way, an Arab who was born in an Arabic country, don't assume by any way that he's going to figure things out because our local dialect has nothing to do with the language of the Quran. Tamam? So maybe the Gulf region could be closest to traditional Arabic than, than the rest of the world. Those of us who are, have come from Lebanon and Syria and, and Palestine and what have you, we speak, يعني, I don't know how to explain it. The, the, the commonalities between that and traditional Arabic could be maybe 30-40%. The rest is French word here and an English word there and invented Turkish words. Uh, we have all kinds of words that have nothing to do with the Arabic language. So it, it doesn't really give you an edge unless you've actually studied the Arabic language. So if you're an Arab and you happen to study Arabic or not non-Arab, you studied Arabic from, from kindergarten, from primary school, then you have a good chance at figuring out later on. Tamam, you have the, the ta'seel in Sahih Ta'bir. Uh, but just be, just being a person that speaks Arabic because you come from an Arab country doesn't mean anything. So nevertheless, the point I'm trying to make is we need to work on the bilingual aspect of things because that's another successful tool of da'wah. So when you when you speak it to a non-Muslim, for example, or to someone who's who's not mis, who's who's misguided, it strengthens your position to be able to cite the evidence in the Arabic language and then translate it to English. 
as opposed to giving him the English only, which makes him speculate, is this really an ayah in the Quran, or are you just coming up with this stuff on your own? Or you give him the Arabic ayah, and then you don't know how to say it in English, which, which will also impact the, you understand the impression? I'm not trying to pick on you, man. I'm just saying, it's okay. I, I'm saying this is for everybody. I'm going to, you know, we, you could use this as fawaid, as part of this, I consider this to be a da'wah course within, within the aqidah course. Tamam? These are tips and tricks for, for giving da'wah. Trying our best to uh, improve both languages, just in general. So let's try again. You wanna? Huh? ترجمة الآية ويمكرون ويمكر الله والله خير الماكرين. طيب ها تفضل يا أستاذ. Yeah, we already agree that he gave us the right answer. He already gave us the right answer. One of the ayat. Okay, this time I'm going to stick to the schedule. 9.40 or 9.45, inshallah. 9.45. This thing is at 12.40. I didn't change the time. Huh, we, we, so first of all, we want to agree, is this, a proper, is this a proper evidence? Is this a proper evidence for our point of contention? The point of contention is certain attributes that, are, that we affirm to Allah if, if the context allows. So the, the quality is makr. He cited an ayah, وَيَمْكُرُونَ And they plot, وَيَمْكُرُ اللَّهِ And Allah plots, وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الْمَاكِرِينَ Allah is the best of plotters. So the, the, the term makr in and of itself, to, to plot against someone, is it absolutely praiseworthy or absolutely blameworthy? It's neither. If you're just plotting all day to, you know, some people have, you know, they plot to, to get, steal money from people. Right? They go to a grocery store, they have an old voucher, I don't know how they, they find a way around it to, to rob people of their money. And they use different plots. They plot to rob a bank. Right? You, you have to plot to rob a bank, unless you're crazy. And I'm not suggesting that you should you know, rob a bank whether you plot or you don't. But I'm just saying, you have, there has to be a plot. Is that praiseworthy or blameworthy? It's absolutely blameworthy. But if someone was plotting against the Muslims, and we were able to outdo them by plotting against their plot, is this praiseworthy or blameworthy? It's praiseworthy. Because in this context, as a retaliation for their plotting, uh, that's good to go. You're good to go. So the, the ayat of Kaid and Makr and Khida' all of these are attributed to Allah Azza wa Jal. Those are the prime examples of an attribute that we have to say, okay, we don't absolutely attribute it to Allah unless it is retaliatory. Meaning in retaliation, to the khida' of the munafiqeen, or to the makr of the disbelievers, or to the kaid of the kuffar, Allah Azza wa Jal outdoes them by, you know, doing, by plotting against them, and therefore it becomes praiseworthy in this context. But do we absolutely say Allah is makir? Allah is khadi'? Then that's why we hold back. Are we clear? Tamam. So the ayah, for example, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يَخْدَعُونَ اللَّهِ وَهُوَ خَادِعُهُمْ وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا كُسَالَ يُرَاءُونَ النَّاسَ وَلَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا نسأل الله العافية. Indeed the hypocrites think to deceive Allah but he is deceiving them. So this deceiving is an attribute in retaliation to the deception of the munafiqeen is praiseworthy. Independent of that we don't affirm or restrict because it has to have that context of being in retaliation. So 
So for instance, as it said, has Allah attributed plotting for himself? Then do not say yes and do not say no. Instead say he is plotting against those who are deserving of that. And Allah knows best. So in, if, if it's plotting against others, then yes. Otherwise just on its own, independent, then we don't. So that was the first subdivision. Two minutes. The second subdivision, the attributes of Allah can be divided into two categories. Those that are affirmed and those that are negated. Now, help me out here. How would we translate affirmed and how would we translate negated? What is affirmed? Hey, mashallah alayk. As-sifa al-thubutiyya from ithbat was-salbiyya from to negate. So thubutiyya is affirmed and salbiyya is to negate. That's why you have ijabi and salbi. You might, have, you might have come across these words in Arabic language. Ijabi is positive. Salbi is negative. And they use this in magnets. You know, the one, when there's the ijabi and salbi. Ala kulli Thubutiyya consists of the attributes that Allah has affirmed for himself, such as living, knowledge, and ability. Affirming these for Allah in a manner befitting to him is obligatory. This is because Allah has affirmed them for himself and he is the most knowledgeable concerning his attributes. So anything that Allah affirmed for himself, we affirm. Uh, just recently someone said that you cannot say that Allah, has, uh, that Allah is al-hay or Allah has a life. Because supposedly we have a life and then if you say that Allah has a life then you're likening Allah to his creation. Rather you should say that he is the uh, perpetually existent or I don't know what, what term they came up with. Again, again, people trying to distort that which is clear and straightforward. طيب, uh, so that would be the thubutiyya. Uh, we will deal with the salbiyya inshallah after the break. How many uh, minutes is the break, Sheikh? Another 15 minutes, you guys enjoy yourselves with all these breaks, mashallah, tabarakallah. So it's 9.45, uh, at 10, at 10 o'clock sharp, we will start. However, as opposed to the first time, uh, unless you're in the bathroom, uh, you know, or you're doing something critically important, uh, let's try to be uh, sitting and, and settled and, and ready on time, exactly at 10. So at 10 exactly, inshallah, I can begin. Not we st at 10 o'clock, we start saying, settle down and sit down and what have you. You know, just so we can be more... Conserve the time as much as possible. Zakumullah khair. <coughs> All right, we're doing better than the first time. Still not there, though. Still not there. Soon, inshallah. Maybe by the third break, we would have adapted to the uh, environment. Tamam, khair. So we finished with al-thubutiyya, and now we're going to go into al-salbiyya. The salbiyya, <coughs> excuse me, consists of the attributes that Allah has negated for himself, such as Tamam. What would we call that? So if, if Allah does not oppress his creation, that makes him Adil? Adil or Adil? What's the opposite of that? What, what is the English equivalent? Just. The opposite of just, the antonym of just. Unjust. Tamam? So, such as injustice, if you want to make it with the justice, injustice or unjust. 
uh, I remember <laughs> an incident in my life where uh, because of lack of because when you know where we raised we were not really raised upon the proper understanding of Islam a brother who's uh, one of those you know you know a person who starts practicing but still doesn't know what's going on so he's very uh, zealous and very keen on on being involved in the masjid and being there but he hasn't figured out yet the matters of of the uh, you know Islam and ilm and so on and so forth so I was having a conversation with a brother <coughs> and uh, I, I said something that was oppressive so he said to me he said and he's, he's uh, from, from Lebanon. He said, Matazlimni, Allah Zalim. I was like, whoa. He said, don't oppress me. Allah is the oppressor. So I was like, yeah, Captain, time out. <laughs> from which ayah or which hadith or where in the world did you get this from? This, is, this goes against the Quran and Sunnah. For whatever reason, maybe he's heard it from someone. That's what he's familiar with. Uh, so a person alleged that Allah Azza wa Jal is ظالم uh, billah and, and absolutely not because if, if, if Allah were to be unjust then that negates then there would be no day of judgment if you think about it because the day of judgment is where justice will be served so if Allah is unjust why would there even be a day of judgment everybody will go to hell تمام? if Allah was unjust He would place everybody in hell already you will be born and your destination is already written. Does Allah know currently who's going to wind up where? Do you all believe that? Do you know that Allah knows each one of us, his maqad, either fil jannah or fil nar? We seek refuge with Allah from the fire. Absolutely. For every human being, Allah knows. Do you know? So don't assume, because some people, that's one of the arguments of these qadariya and their likes or the jabariya. Is what's the point, Yaqi? What's the point of working? If Allah knows that I'm I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wind up in the fire, why am I bothering in the first place? How do you respond to that? If if I know, if Allah already knows I'm gonna end up in the hellfire, I'm here fasting the month of Ramadan and praying five times a day and doing nawafil and sadaqah and amrul ma'roof and al munkar nafsi day and night, and I'm gonna wind up in hell. Khalas, from now I you know. Surrender and put up the white flag as they say and live life and enjoy life as they say they, you only live once. The, the most oxymoronic uh, expression in the world. You only live once can literally be interpreted in two opposite ways. The same one who tells you you only live once to sin, you tell him, yeah, I know, I only live once. So what are you talking about? Because I only live once, I can't afford to mess up. You understand? It's an expression that the disbelievers use frequently like, you know, that justifies you just having a blast from the day you're born until you die. I don't know how we got here. Anyways, the point being, what was I saying? And what's the point? Yeah, how do you address this uh, issue? Which issue? All right, thank you. See, being close benefits. My, my advice, my piece of advice Unless you're a senior citizen with back problems, tamam, always avoid the back seats as a general rule in life. I don't know. Some of you know, some of you don't know. I work for Samsung. I've been working for Samsung for many years. And we have uh, conferences for, for trainers, master trainers and training managers and what have you. Anytime there's an event of any sort, I am the closest person to the speaker whoever that person they bring to, to teach us, whatever. Tamam? There's always a barakah 
and a benefit in being close to the, why because first of all you have the most eye contact with that person second of all you, the, the the least chance of you using your phone being distracted is there because you're on, basically on under the microscope you're being observed and then you're you're just close to the event you're close to the source of the event and because of that from a from a um, professional point of view i've benefited greatly from always trying to be close to whatever the event is for example they want to show the phones who gets to see the phone the first i do as soon as they start passing out the phones, I'm the first one to grab the new phone and check it out. Before the guy who's sitting all the way in you know, Chinatown receives the phone, it's already been abused by f 500 people. If, by the way, sometimes the phone never makes it to him. You know, by the time it's going around, okay, break time, Adriyas, give us the phone back, say, hey, I never saw the phone. Habib, you're sitting over there. So I, I became known within the community that I'm always going, we reach a point when there's a conference, no one sits there. Because they know that I'm going to fight for this spot. You know, this is my spot. So a general piece of advice, always try to be close to whatever the information is. From a religious point of view, academic point of view in, the gen in a generic sense, this always, inshallah, will, will give you a certain edge or advantage uh, over those who might recline in the back. Again, if you have a, a, a reason or sometimes, just so we can give excuses to the people. Sometimes you know that you have to go. For example, I felt very uncomfortable that I left uh, the dars of the sheikh earlier while sitting over here. Because it is inappropriate, honestly. I had two choices. Either I'm going to come seek permission from him, distract the sheikh and distract the translator and distract all of you by uh, you know, coming here to the sheikh and telling him my, my life story. Uh, even though I had planned in advance that I would, I would have to go back to my uh, hotel and bring my stuff and what have you. So I was in a very awkward position uh, where I, I needed to go and I didn't want to distract. At the same time, it's inappropriate just to get up and leave. But sometimes you know that you have to leave. So you purposely go in the back. So when you leave, it's a swift, it's a swift uh, you know, uh, uh, exit without making a scene. Tamam? So if you're sitting in the back, I'm not trying to call you out or say that you have some, you know, you don't care enough. I, I, I don't mean that. But I'm just giving a general reminder, general benefit, inshallah. Always try to be close to the event. We're good on that. <coughs> How did we get here? You forgot again? Hey, sah. So, if I'm destined to hell, why bother? Does that sound British enough? No? Never mind. Tfaddal, yaqi. The Sheikh went straight to the evidence, mashallah, tabarakallah. Tamam. So, he cited some ayat from which surah? Tayyib. Uh, is there more to the. Are there other ayat? Translate first. As much as you can. Exactly. Now, is there a hadith actually that that specifically cites those ayat? Actually, did the Sahaba have this very concern? Yes, they did. This concern actually started with the Sahaba. They asked the Messenger of Allah والسلام, regarding this issue now. Let's go back to the hadith. Which hadith was it where the Sahaba voiced this concern? Does anyone know the hadith? Even it's okay to paraphrase. The hadith, it's okay to paraphrase. You may not remember verbatim. But try to give me the gist of it. Tfaddal ya ustad. 
اها طيب and then he said اعملوا فكل ميسر لما خلق له you do your job and you will be facilitated towards that which you were created for that's from a textual evidence point of view okay let's if you're dealing with a non-muslim he's going to tell you you're trying to explain to me from your revelation an issue that i i don't accept revelation we insist on the revelation but can we give another example can we can we reinforce <coughs> excuse me this with an example that we can relate to something that we can relate to yes or no can we come up with examples to Bring the point home for someone who doesn't necessarily submit to the textual evidence. Tfaddal. <laughs> I don't know about this example, Akhi. <laughs> That's a good one. Tayyip, <laughs> good. That was a good point. Good. You're, you're, you're right around the point. Somebody had raised his hand. The one with the... Is that an AirPod or whatever you, they call them? Hey, come on, man. See, see people that use iPhones always forget stuff. Yalla, <laughs> Sheikh. Yeah, they... <laughs> Allah understand. Fadl. Okay. It does, but we need more. Fadl. So what's going on right now is we're conflating. I think a lot of us are conflating many different topics into this particular issue, which, which there might be a common denominator between them, but it's, it doesn't address the, the point of contention specifically. If, I'm going to give it one more try, and then I'm going to give you my, an example that, that might help. Tfaddal. Malish. Yeah, it has to do with that. So I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is we want to think of an example. In the past, I've thought of an example. And that example doesn't mean it's it. So you could think of a better example. But generally speaking, from my humble experience, and I always have a problem saying humble experience because that's a term that's used by a lot of people that not unnecessarily being humble. But in my experience in da'wah, examples have been very useful in explaining to non-Muslims principles that that we understand, but they fail in understanding. So you give an example that they can relate to. So many examples can be given. One of which is you come up with a hypothetical situation. Something that they can connect with in, in one way or another. One of those hypothetical situations is an employee. I think one of you highlighted that more or less. An employee at a job. Your boss, you're employed at a company. Your boss comes and tells you out of the blue... In three days, in three days' time, 
I'm going to do one of two things. One, I'm going to promote you to a senior manager. Or two, I'm going to get you fired. You're going to get fired. So you're taken back. What the heck's going on? Why this ultimatum? And why am I in this predicament? And what is he thinking about? What's going on in his mind? Is, is this an incentive to, to make me work harder? Is he trying to eliminate me? So, you know, he's putting me in this predicament. The bottom line is, you don't know what's going on in his head. Tamam? So you as an individual in this predicament, you have also two ways of dealing with the situation. Two ways of reacting. One that is logical and ideal, and one that is illogical and not ideal. The, which one would you like to begin with? The logical and ideal or the other one? The other one. The other one is you're like, man, this guy wants to get me fired. So the next day you go to work in your pajamas. <laughs> Three hours late and you put your feet on the desk and your, your laptop is closed. You're not even, you don't even have it on and you're not even working. And all the, your colleagues are going by like, what's going on? What, what are you doing? You're like, man, you didn't hear? The manager said, in three days, either I'm going to get promoted or I'm going to get fired. So this is not fair. I don't know what he has in his mind. And therefore, I'm not happy with what's going on. Would anyone give you thumbs up? Say, mashallah, what a bright human being you are. Keep going. Would anyone approve of that? In reality, what are you doing? At this point, what are you doing? You're guaranteeing losing your job. Sah? The ideal thing to do is what? Actually work hard. And guess what? Let's say that he was wicked. And even though you worked hard, he was going to fire you anyway. What is your job in the first place? Isn't it to work? So you're only doing what is expected of you. Whether or not you strive... You doing your job is the reason why you were hired in the first place. Even if he has ill intentions, when he puts you in this predicament, you're still expected to do your job. Now, if you were to do your job 100%, is it possible that he will still fire you? Yes or no? Good. Why? Because he's what? He's a human being. What did Allah say? إِنَّ عَرَضْنَا الْأَمَانَةَ عَلَى السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَالْجِبَالِ فَأَبَيْنَ أَنْ يَحْمِلْنَهَا وَأَشْفَقْنَ مِنْهَا وَحَمَلَهَا الْإِنسَانِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ ظَلُومًا جَهُولًا Allahu Akbar Allah has presented the, the amana, the trust of, of the burden of everything upon the heavens and the earth and the mountains and they out of fear of Allah they refrained from carrying this responsibility they were, they, were, they were afraid of it. Who carried it? Al-insan. Why? Because he is ظلوماً jahula. He's oppressive and ignorant. So your boss, in spite of your hard work, might still pull a stunt and fire you. Is this what we believe about Allah? Would you ever strive for Allah's pleasure sincerely and end up in the hellfire? No, therefore, did Allah tell you this is the path of Jannah and this is path of Jahannam. So do the things which will take you to Jannah and avoid the things which will take you to Jahannam. Did he or did he not? So your job is to do what? Follow the path of Allah. What Allah has written for you, you will never know.
assuming that you might get end up in the hellfire is actually you basically booking your place in the hellfire. Your job is to trust Allah that if you were to do your work, then you'll end up to be, you, you'll be safe. Are we clear? So you give an example, you can think of better examples. The idea is an example will help people relate to an Islamic principle that is usually understood by someone with Iman, but difficult for someone with no Iman. Your Iman actually empowers you to submit to Allah. Yes, there's Jahannam and it's 69 times more severe than the fire of the dunya and it will be brought with angels, you know, 70,000 angels dragging Jahannam and Jahannam will have Zafir and all this. All this is scary. But as a believer, I have hope in Allah. I have trust in Allah Azza wa Jal that as long as I strive and do my best every time I sin, and this is why it's very important, ya akhwan, to remind ourselves about repentance. Kullu ibn Adam khatta. Every son of Adam is sinful. But the best of those who sin are those who repent. No one should be claiming that he's a, يعني, he's a malak walking on earth. We all have a free will. <coughs> Therefore, we all sin. Some sin more than others. Some sin in public, some sin in secret. No one is free from that. No one is free from that. Our job regarding each other is if somebody sins in secret, do you expose or do you conceal? You conceal. You conceal. Uh, this whole expose of someone's private life, what they did, what they didn't do, you know, his marriage, his divorce, all this is, is nonsense. You're hearing one side of the story, which is biased in the first place. And, and when uh, Dawood السلام, when the man came to him and said that I have, uh, my brother has 99 uh, Najah, and I have one, and he asked me to give, to give him mine, he said, he has oppressed you, by asking you to add your na'ja to his ni'aj, to his own uh, goats. And what happened? This was the fitna of Dawood. The scholars say, because Dawood did not hear the other side. He heard one side and he issued, he issued an opinion or a fatwa based on hearing one side. You're never allowed to take sides until you hear both sides. And 99% of those social media public expose of people, even the most deviant person on earth, I don't want to mention names. Let's say the most deviant person on earth. Someone shows you a video of him doing something in a private his own home. You're not allowed to circulate this. Say, ha, look, that's what you get. That's what you deserve because you're deviant. This is not how it works in Islam. These are the places where your iman and your adherence to the Quran and the Sunnah take precedence over your revenge and your emotions and your, you know, whatever you want to call it. You have to abide by those rules and regulations. So someone's private life is everybody's, nobody's business. But when we sin, we have to repent to Allah. Do not, do not continue to sin without repenting immediately. You say, Akhi, it doesn't make sense. I smoke a cigarette and you want me to repent every time I smoke a cigarette? Yes. But I know I'm going to smoke a cigarette later. Then your repentance was not, was not sound. Because one of the conditions of repentance is that you have the intention to leave it off for good and never do it again. But what if, what if you sincerely repented every single time, then every single time Allah will accept your repentance. And every single time you, you smoke again, you're starting your bad habit once again, but your previous ones are erased. As opposed to living a lifestyle where smoking is vaping, whatever you want to call it nowadays, because now when you speak to someone, they get smart. Say, brother, stop smoking. Brother, I'm not smoking. I don't smoke. I'm like, MashaAllah, then what is this in your hand? This is vape. Man, get out of here, man. 
Are we playing games with each other? You literally just blew out like a, a cloud. They came out of your mouth. You're, gonna call, you're not going to call it smoking, vaping. I, I don't care about the semantics. You're inhaling something and exhaling something else. It's, it's bad for you. It's haram. It's a waste of money. It's harming others. And we can give you a list of things that come along with smoking, public sinning, and so on and so forth. But, you know, you have to repent every single time so that when you die, you could have done every sin under the sun. A man killed 99, ya jama'at al-khair, 99 people. Allahu Akbar. Anta, if you kill an ant, maybe you don't sleep at night. If an ant was an innocent ant, and there's some ants that deserve to be killed. Imam, if it's eating your food and whatever, it's allowed in Islam. Don't burn it though. But if it's an innocent ant walking by, so you know, when we were kids, uh, we used to, you know, light up, astaghfirullah, <laughs> we didn't know any better. See a bunch of ants, bring some, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, alcohol, not alcohol, the one you drink. Spirito. What do you call it? What spirit, Ya Sheikh? Huh, that, you know the stuff. Rubbing alcohol. Yeah, something like this. And then you light them up on fire. Oh, this is entertainment. You know? And your parents are like, ah, oh, you know, watch out for the, the, the plants. Watch out for the plants. Tell me not to burn the ants. Are you kidding me? You're just worried about burning down the house. It's okay to burn the ants. And some, some of us or the families were not really practicing Islam fully. But that's a different discussion altogether. How did I get here? I'm always going to ask you, Akhi, you, need to be on, you need to stay on track. Now we forgot. Ah, repent. Repent right away. So, and he killed 99 souls. And, and then he killed a, a worshiper of Allah who didn't have much knowledge. You know, he said, I killed 99 people. Is there any repentance for me? And the guy was like, what? <laughs> I've been worshiping Allah this my whole life. Here you are running around, you know, on a, a serial killer, a mass murder. 99, and you want to be forgiven? That's it. Mafi tawba. No tawba for you. He said, Wallah, tayb tamam. Ta'al. Yalla. Ma'habah kaman. It's ghaba. So 99, 100, 110, 115, 120. It's all the same. If there's no repentance for you, then the more, maybe the better. He's trying to break a record of, you know, the biggest serial killer in the world. I don't know. He got him killed. He killed the hundreds man who was a worshiper that worshipped Allah, but no knowledge. The dangers of giving fatwa with no ilm. Then he, but subhanAllah, there was still something in him. Continued looking <coughs> until he was guided to a knowledgeable person. He told him, who can, who can come in between you and Tawbah? But you're living in an environment, such and such city. Go to the city, there are people that are worshipping Allah. You all know the hadith, sah? The man went on a travel, he died on the way. And the angels of mercy and the angels of, 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 of uh, torment and punishment were debating on what the, the, one of the, the angels of, of, of torment, they're saying, this man hasn't, hasn't, even, hasn't even prayed to Allah once. He, he literally just finished killing 100 people and he embarked on a journey to start a new life where he will start you know, becoming a good Muslim. Didn't even get to get the job done. Didn't even fast the month of Ramadan, if there was Ramadan back then. And the angels of mercy saying, but the, the man left his old lifestyle. He was going for the sake of Allah. You know, one of the narrations of the hadith, Allah Azza wa Jal stretched the earth they were told to measure the distance. Which is he closer to? Is he closer to the land of the wicked people or the land of the righteous people? Allah made the earth expand and stretch towards the land of the, mercy, the, the people who were righteous so that the angels of mercy take him. So if he killed a hundred people, Allah forgave a hundred souls that were killed, were forgiven. Then me and you, whatever we're doing, I hope, <laughs> I hope that none of you has a record equal to that. Sitting here with 102, but no one knows. Keeping it to yourself. Alhamdulillah, no one knows me. Alhamdulillah, no one exposed my secret. Uh, then we have a much better uh, uh, opportunity than he did. 
But the key was what? Tawbah. The key was Tawbah. So never close the door of Tawbah and never think Allah will not accept your Tawbah. قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا Subhanallah, say, oh my slaves who have transgressed against themselves, do not despair from the mercy of Allah. It's haram for you to say Allah will not forgive me. Very Allah forgives all the sins. Another ayat, أُولَٰئِكَ يُبَدِّلُ اللَّهُ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ Hasanat, Allah will even replace your bad deeds with good deeds. Whether the existing bad deeds are converted into good, uh, existing bad deeds are converted into good deeds, or another interpretation that now your lifestyle will change instead of engaging in sin, you'll be engaging in good. Either way, you're still on good terms. But the key in all this is what tawbah. So, the quality of injustice is not something that we attribute to Allah Azza wa Jal. Otherwise, there would be no day of judgment. There would be no day of judgment because it would all be said and done already. But because Allah is adil, then on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the Mizan will be placed, Mawazin, and the good deeds and the bad deeds will be weighed, and we all know what will happen. Tayyip, <coughs> can anyone give an ayah, or did we mention a reference for the, uh, this quality? One of you mentioned an ayah, but can we think of more ayat that Allah does not oppress anyone? There's more than one ayah. Mm, it doesn't it doesn't address the point this speaks about the people and them wronging themselves the, the, we're talking about Allah not wronging others or not wronging his creation so we have وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِظَلَّمِ الْعَبِيدِ and Surah Al-Kahf وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحَدًا Surah Al-Kahf all of you should have it memorized by now I don't know why anybody here does not have Surah Al-Kahf memorized assuming you read it every Friday does everybody read it every Friday? <clears throat> it's one of these suwar which by virtue of repetition should be easier for you to memorize than other suwar that you may not read as frequently. So anything that you read frequently is easier for you to grasp. A lot of people memorize certain suwar by hearing their favorite reciter you know, recite it over and over again. So now it's like the, the, the skeleton of the surah is there and all they have to do is now work a little bit harder to actually memorize it as opposed to you know, trying to memorize Surah Al-Imran from scratch. You will struggle a lot more than a surah that you might have heard more frequently. Surah Yaseen, Surah Rahman, these are surah that are often recited and often heard in the salawat. So it's easier for you to recite it. You have another ayah? Verily, Allah does not oppress even the equivalent of a dharra. Now what is a dharra? At the time of at the time of the Arabs, at the time of the the time of Prophet what was the dharra? Because today we we use different terms. Ah, khardal is mustard seed. Somebody's hungry. we went to the mustard. There's no mustard in this situation. We're talking about dharra first. namla. Dharra is an ant, and but now because we become advanced, we say atom, right? You know. Anyways, we're not gonna go to atomic atomic bombs and what have you. So some, some examples or some words you just have to avoid. Because I can only imagine someone making a clip. You know, someone just making a cropping from a video. A Muslim saying, you know, in a masjid, atomic bomb. Like, oh, that's what the Muslims are planning next for, you know. So always the context makes a difference. You have more? Yeah, Captain. Hat. Translate. Now this time you have to translate. I'm doing all the work. This one is easy. 
طيب إن usually let's 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 do a little uh, translation course. إن is usually translated as verily. حلو verily. لفظ الجلالة الله is clear. إن الله لا لا is negation or affirmation. So so obviously it it means no, but it it's not going to stand alone. It's going to be does not. صح? In the context of the sentence structure is going to be لا يظلم يظلم is is a فعل مضارع. So it's a present tense. So Allah does not oppress. It's an ongoing thing. Huh? Shay'a at all, in any way, shape, or form, anything. So, tamam. وَلَكِنَّ النَّاسَ أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ However, the people, لكن, however, الناس, humans, people, أنفسهم, themselves, يظلمون, and it's plural, يظلم is one man, uh, singular, يظلمون is plural, they oppress themselves, they wrong themselves. Uh, try to, uh, okay, how do I put this? Every Friday, we have a tafsir class where we go over the tafsir of Sheikh Abdurrahman bin Nasir al-Sa'di alayhi rahmatullah. Taysir al-Kalim rahman fi tafsir kalam al-Mannan. If you're trying to improve this aspect of your religion, uh, I recommend that you attend the live class because that's exactly what we do. We go over word for word the, uh, the Quranic ayat and the, the kalam of the Sheikh and the ta'liq of the Sheikh and the sharh of the Sheikh. So you can, if you want, actually have a, quite a vast vocabulary in terms of knowing what this word means in both languages and that will open the door for you to understand. It's very important for you when you're praying taraweeh to, to know this. Because when you start hearing words that you became familiar with, even though you don't comprehend fully what the shaykh is saying in the salah, you will have a connection that the one who doesn't know doesn't have. And one of the most important things to establish in the salah is what? Khushu'ah. And khushu' cannot be attained if you're oblivious to what's going on around you. It's very difficult actually to maintain khushu' when, you know, the, the rugs have these designs on them. People are constantly scratching and moving about. You know, this person's trying to put his ankle next to yours in the middle of the salah more than once. Uh, you know, this, all kinds of distraction. But when you, when you disengage from the people because you're focused on what the sheikh is saying, then even those minor distractions can be can be over you know overlooked and you can still focus on the core message so it's very important <clears throat> especially in ramadan in ramadan is a is an opportunity for you to hear the entire quran you want to engage and understand as much as possible when you're praying behind the iman because that's how your iman will increase that's how you get closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tamam type so it is obligatory to negate injustice from allah while affirming the opposite which is justice for him based on its most perfect perspective the third subdivision is the affirmed attributes of Allah or al-thubutiyah can further be divided into two categories. So we're done with salbiyah, the, neg the negation or the negative ones. <laughs> the thubutiyah is of two types, thatiyah and fi'liyah. So thatiyah is related to that or the essence of Allah Azza wa Jal. It's related to the essence of Allah Azza wa Jal. Fi'liyah from fi'l. It's, it's basically based on action. It's the action. So we will see what that means uh, in detail, inshallah. So first, the dhatiyah, they are the attributes that do not cease, nor will ever cease to be descriptive of Allah. Such as hearing and seeing. So forever and always and perpetually, Allah Azza wa Jal is sami'un basir. Allah is all hearing, all seeing. This is the sifa dhatiyah. 
Al-Fi'liyya, these are the attributes that are connected to his Mashia. They're connected to the will of Allah. They're connected to the will of Allah. If he wills, he will do it. And if he wills, he will not do it. Such as rising over the throne. Rising over the throne is something that Allah Azza wa Jal shaa an yaf'al thumma stawa ala al-arsh. Then he, then he rose over the throne. Allah willed to, to, to rise over the throne in a manner which befits his majesty. And therefore this is a sifa fa'liyah. Who can give us other sifat fa'liyah? Love. Okay. I want to see agreements or disagreements. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we should make highlights of your answers today and compile them into a video. And every time we're feeling sad and down, we'll watch it and have a good old time, inshallah. Hey, <laughs> tfaddal. The Nuzul. So Allah, huh? So Allah descending to the lowest heaven. At the last third of the night. Tamam. Tayyip. So now let's, let's deal with a little technical issue. It is possible. Oh, you want more? Fadal. Oh, now. Yeah, Fadal. It is, but it's fa'liyah in, in the same time that Allah chose to rise over the throne. It's something that is based on Allah's Mashiach. So the, the hearing and seeing is, usually, is not based on Mashiach. Allah it, it does not will in that sense to hear and, and see because it's part of the al-sifat that it's from the essence of Allah to be hearing and seeing. Rising over the throne, descending to the lowest heaven, regardless of other evidences, is a matter of Allah willing to do so. Allah becoming angry with people. غضب الله عليهم لعنهم الله so on and so forth these are, these are attributes that are related to that تمام so someone raises his hand تمام طيب um, so let's look at a sifa that could be ذاتية and فعلية at the same time such as speech the speech of Allah in regards to the, er the origin of the attribute it is an attribute of essence because Allah never stopped nor will stop speaking, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in regards to the units of speech that are put forth, it is an attribute of fa'liya or action. Since speech is connected to his will, he speaks as he wills and when he wills. So this is an example that fits into both. Clear? The fourth subdivision, each attribute of Allah should bring three questions to mind. The first question, is it real? Is it real? As opposed to figurative and why? That's the first question. The second question, is it permissible to say how this attribute is and why? And the third question, is it comparable to the attributes of the creation and why? I'm going to repeat. The fourth subdivision is that each attribute of Allah should bring three questions to mind. Number one, is it real as opposed to figurative and why? Is it permissible to say how or what we know as the modality 
is there modality to this particular attribute and why? And lastly, is it comparable to the attributes of the creation and why? Let's answer these questions. The answer to the first question, yes, it is real. Because the foundation of speech concerning the subject is based on actuality. Between parentheses, as opposed to symbolism. The door of symbolism is a very dangerous one. Because certain individuals uh, who are experts in eschatology, when they open the door of symbolism, they, you can no longer look at anything face value. Literally every single ayah or hadith, they will give you a symbolic interpretation for it. So whether it is the Dajjal, whether it is Dabbatul Ard, whether it is uh, uh, any, even the signs of the last day, the whole science of, of, of Ilmu Sa'a and the Alamatu Sa'a Al-Kubra wa Sughra, when you open the door of symbolism, then you can no longer affirm or deny anything because, mashallah, depending on what type of tea you drank before you started, you know, exerting your ishtihad, you come up with a new opinion every single day. There's absolutely no way you could track or restrict interpretation because you're using uh, the rejection of literal meaning and opening the door of symbolism or figurative language to interpretation. According to that, you can no longer have Islam in the first place. Because literally, 10 people can have 10 different opinions based on their own interpretation of the, the signs of the last day, based on how he interprets it, interprets it, interprets it. So that door is closed. So the, the, we go by actuality, literal meaning. This may, this may not be abandoned unless there's an authentic evidence that restricts it. And that's a very important qualifying statement. Because you will come across certain occasions in the Quran and the Sunnah, where you don't take the literal meaning because the literal meaning may create a, a form of misunderstanding. And the only time we resort to another interpretation or symbolic, if we may use that term, is because there's another evidence that substantiates that approach. If there is no other evidence, then it's case closed. You have to go back to our previous principle that your intellect huh, does not interfere with revelation. You understand it, good for you, you don't understand it, go sleep. But if there is another evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah that gives you that other interpretation, then there's absolutely no problem. Who's going to make that distinction? You and I? No, the scholars. The ulama al-Rabbaniyun. The scholars that are mindful of Allah, that are knowledgeable, those who know what they're talking about, they will highlight for us those, those incidents or those instances where there's another evidence that further explains this particular attribute of Allah. Again, this is a very diverse subject. If you want more examples of what I'm saying, once again, I will remind you to refer to the existing playlist on One, One Way to Paradise, where we go over all of these with all these examples highlighted, broken down to the nitty gritty. So it's all there. But now, because of time constraints, I can't elaborate on each and every one, uh, lest we never finish. And we definitely have uh, an objective to fulfill. <coughs> this, so that was the first answer. To the first uh, question. The second answer to the second question, is it permissible to say how and why? No, it is not permissible to describe how an attribute is. Because Allah says in the Quran, يَعْلَمُوا مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِهِ عِلْمًا Allah knows what is presently before them and what will come after them, but they do not encompass, i.e. what Allah knows in knowledge. So we don't have the ability, we don't have the the capability, we're not qualified to encompass 
the knowledge of Allah Azza wa Jal. Therefore, according to that, according to that, we cannot mention anything about the howness or the modality. So, when someone says, Allah rose over the throne, Allah descends to the lowest heaven, a, a, a natural question which may come, sorry, from someone that doesn't understand, which happened at the time of Imam Malik is, كيف? كيف? كيف استوى الله على العرش? How did Allah rise over the throne? What did Imam Malik, what happened to Imam Malik, rahimahullah? Was he okay? He put his head down. This was a musibah back then. This was a musibah back then. That a person would ask this philosophical question to the sheikh. It was a musibah of the highest order. Why? Because the people had the pure aqidah. This, this kind of conversation did not occur. You have to understand. One of the strongest refutations against the people of deviance when it comes to the issue of modality, when they want to inquire more about that which they will never get an answer for, is tell them, as Sheikh ibn Uthameer said, said, tell them the following. Are you more keen than the Sahaba on learning? Yes or no? Can anyone say yes? Good. Unless you think you're better than Sahaba, that's a whole other, that's a whole other discussion. The, the, the one being asked, the one being asked, could he possibly be more knowledgeable than the Messenger of Allah? When the most keen people on learning had available to them the most qualified to give an answer and they didn't have this discussion, why are we having it? You see how you close the door? Why are you asking me something that the Sahaba could have asked yet did not? And you're asking someone that will never be as qualified as the Messenger of Allah who could have answered but didn't have to. If they didn't delve into this issue, why are we having this conversation in the first place? This entire conversation is problematic. This entire conversation is a form of deviance manifesting before our eyes. Because asking how is requiring information that you will never be able to acquire and therefore you are delving into an area where you could never be satisfied. That's like someone being, uh, they go to sleep in their bed, they wake up in an island. They wake up, they wake up in an island, they look around, what's going on here? How did I get here? They have two choices. huh? The first choice is to try to figure it out. So they stay on the island for the next 10 years. You know, if he has a beard, he'll be playing with his beard. Who did this? Was it Abdullah? Was it my uncle? Who pulled this prank? And then death comes upon this man. Do you think he will ever get an answer? Will you ever get an answer? Khalas, ya boy. What should you, what should you do? Get off the island, man. Go build a boat. Go find a phone. Go make a phone call. Swim. Uh, fish. Do something to get out of the situation. When you're back home, do your Sherlock Holmes stunt and try to find out who pulled this prank. But now that you're stuck on the island, it's absolutely ludicrous to be wasting your time trying to figure it out. Similarly, somebody wants to figure out how does Allah do this. What do you want, Yaqi? You will never know, Aslan. You will never know. You will never know. Therefore, why are you wasting my time and yours and del delving into this discussion that is not going to get us anywhere when we already know by default no one will ever be able to answer that? It's a waste of time. خلص يا أخي believe in Allah and go to sleep. You want to know more about Allah? Go to Jannah. You will see Allah Azza wa Jal. You will speak to Allah. Congratulations. خلص it's all said and done then. Now, 
someone who's better than you wanted to see Allah. Who? Who wanted to see Allah? And what did he get? He said, my Lord, allow me to gaze at you. Allah said, you will not be able to see me. However, look at the mountain. If the mountain remains intact, then you will be able to see me. When Allah revealed some of the scholars say some of the greatness of Allah, the equivalent of a small tiny greatness of Allah, to the mountain, the mountain collapsed. And Musa fainted, alayhi salatu salam. Khalas, lesson learned. You cannot see Allah in the dunya. La tudrikul absar. The vision, the sight cannot encompass Allah. So accordingly, you will not know anything about nuzul and anything about al-istiwa uh, al-arsh and anything about Allah, maji' of Allah, the laughter of Allah. All these we believe, huh? We believe in the Quran and Sunnah, Allah laughs, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He laughs in a way that befits His majesty. And Allah speaks in a way that befits His majesty. And Allah rises over the throne and so on and so on. We don't delve into how because there is absolutely no benefit in doing so. Those who were better than you did not. Therefore, follow their footsteps and you will be rightly guided. So, and the intellect are not able to comprehend the nature of how Allah, Allah's attributes are. So that was the second question with the second answer. Third question with the third answer. Who remembers the question before I give you the answer? It cannot be compared to the creation's attributes due to the saying of Allah Azawajal. So the, the shahid is the end of the ayah, there's nothing like unto him. So we are, this is how we exit the confusion that comes from the Ashairah. Uh, who are following the footsteps of the Jahmiyyah, who say that we are anthropomorphists. What is an anthropomorphist? <laughs> when you give Allah human attributes or vice versa. So they say that you're giving Allah human attributes when you are affirming those, those uh, attributes of Allah that Allah comes on, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah or that Allah laughs. The only thing that their minds are able to grasp is that we laugh. And therefore, if Allah laughs, you are likening Allah to His creation. And the way we refute that is by explaining, this is where this ayah is used, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ So you've never seen anything like Allah, let alone Allah. You've never seen anything the like of Allah Azza Therefore, on what basis are you assuming what the nature of this attribute is? You have to have something... So for example, if I tell you, I have with me uh, five crapuchalilo. Huh? What, what is that like? What's a crapuchalilo? I just invented the word, by the way, so don't think I've used it in the past. You could spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what I'm talking about. I myself don't know. And you don't know either. Because the, you, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing similar to it. There's nothing that you could, from a, from a language perspective, there's no word that you can connect it with. So when you don't know what's being, what's being talked about, you have nothing to imagine. That's why, the, how, does, how is Jannah understood? What does Allah say in the Hadith Qudsi? The, what is the beginning of the Hadith? أَعْدَدْتُ لِعِبَادِيَ الصَّالِحِينَ مَا لَا عَيْنٌ 
رأت ولا أذن سمعت ولا خطر على قلب بشر سبحان الله I have prepared for my righteous slaves what no eye has ever seen nor ear has ever heard and has never come across a human's mind meaning if you spend the rest of your life you read the ayat in the Quran and all kinds of description that Surah Al-Rahman is, is a perfect example of the description of paradise Zakallah khair is a perfect example of the description of paradise. But let's assume that you spend the rest of your life trying to imagine what those fruits in Jannah are like, or what these anhar, tajri min al anhar, anhar min asal, you know, laban and so on and so forth. Will you ever be able to imagine? There, there is no way. There is no way. This is beyond your human capability. So you accept it as such. Okay. <laughs> Let me just finish this point, inshallah, which is perfect because that's the end of the third principle before we deal with the fourth principle or another day, inshallah. Type. And also Allah is worthy of the utmost perfection. Therefore, it is impossible for him to be compared to the creation since that is something deficient and imperfect. The difference between takif, saying how it is, and tamthil, saying it, it's like such and such, is that tamthil is to describe the manner of an attribute by restricting it to a certain example, Whereas takif, which is mentioned in the modality, is describing the manner of an attribute without restricting it to a certain example. So an example of tamthil, likening Allah to his creation. Tamthil is to, from mithil, like that. If someone were to say the hand of Allah is like the hand of a human being. Okay? If someone were to say the hand of Allah is like the hand of a human being, this is tamthil. Do we believe in tamthil? No, we don't fall into tamthil. We don't believe the hand of Allah is like the hand of a human being. Why? Does that mean that every time Allah mentioned the term hand, you deny it in the Quran? Specifically when it's mentioned in dual, in Muthanna. To the one who I've created with both of my hands. And then the other ayah. It's in the dual. It doesn't make sense to be translated or to, to interpret it any other way. Do we deny now the hand of Allah? No. Does it have to be like the creation? No. So can we have both? Absolutely. You can affirm the attribute of Allah and not liken it to his creation. Case closed. The, the, the deviants, the Ash'aris, can't, they, they, they cannot understand that. They fail in understanding this very basic principle. So they want to avoid tamthil. So they run out of tamthil. They fall into ta'til, distorting, and then they wind up falling into tamthil. You know, understand? They're trying to run away from, from a dog and then a lion eats him. Now you are better off with the dog. At least he bites you, you go recover and life goes on. A, a tiger or a lion eats you, bye-bye, Habibi. You can be chopped in half. Eats one half, leaves the other half. Big deal. They, they're running away from deviants. They're falling into the very deviants that they uh, try to avoid. An example of takif is to imagine, that the hand of Allah has a specific nature that has no comparison found in the hands of created beings. This type of imagining is not permissible. This type of imagining is not permissible. So that concludes the third principle with, with these three subdivisions. Uh, in our next class, which will be tomorrow, inshallah, uh, the Sheikh will be giving actually an announcement about some, some other things. So stay, stay put, uh, don't move. But we will continue, inshallah, ta'ala, in the next session. So, khairan for your attentiveness and for hearing me out and for participating and contributing to this class. And I'll allow the Sheikh to, to uh, share some, some reminders or some information. Zakallah khair for your patience. May Allah reward all of you. It's been a long day, inshallah. Tomorrow will be longer. So, <laughs> inshallah, tomorrow we're starting after Fajr. 
inshallah. And we'll be going through the, uh, a book titled uh, The Authority of the Sunnah, Hujjiyatu. A sunnah, that's the book which is being sold. If anybody has not bought uh, a book yet, then find a chance today, inshallah, to, to buy a book now. Just those, those right there uh, at the back, they'll be sold over there, inshallah. Uh, likewise, the sisters are also selling it. Um, the Fajr session will only be uh, about you know one and a half hours long, approximately, maybe maximum two. After that, you have a break until Dhuhr. After Dhuhr, Sheikh Zafar uh, comes again to teach Taqwiyatul Iman. Until Asr, Asr to Maghrib is a break. And after Maghrib, he has another lecture um, as well. And then at 5.15, Ustaz uh, Abu Mus'ab, he'll continue with Aqeedah Wasatiyah. Until Isha, after Isha will continue with Aqeedah Wasatiyah. And then at 9 p.m., that's when Ustaz Tim Hanbal will come, inshallah. Uh, 9 till 11 p.m. He's going to teach Iqtidah Surat al-Mustaqim by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. Rahimahullah. So that's the schedule for tomorrow. In terms of overnight stay, whoever's staying over, uh, firstly, please make sure that you have uh, filled in the registration form for uh, staying over. If you haven't, then inshallah, as soon as I think the live stream finishes, they'll put up the QR code. Please scan the QR code and on there you'll find the form. Uh, and inshallah, you can just sleep anywhere in the masjid. It's not an issue, inshallah. I think that room, the issue with that room there is that the lights are censored. So if anyone moves, the lights going to turn on. So maybe it's best uh, sleeping here. Um, inshallah. Is there anything else? No, that, that, uh, that, that's it for now. So inshallah, I'll see all of you at Fajr, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Subhanakum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Don't worry about it.